What's up, everybody? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you guys, I am very surprised this happened. I mean, I guess it's especially just when it happened. But, I mean, I guess for those who don't know, the LA Kings fired Todd McClellan. Replaced him with Jim Heller, assistant coach Jim Hiller. Um, I don't even know where to begin, to be honest with you. I, I, it sort of feels like maybe this was something that was necessary. It, it didn't feel like, I mean, even after the win in Nashville to, to go into the break, you didn't really get the sense that things had turned around kind of heard from the players after the game and even McClellan after the game that there was still a lot of work to be, that needed to be done. And when you only have what was it, three wins in 17 games, I think I have that right. Change needed to be made. I guess for now, I'm very curious to see how the lineup shakes up, what players get used, how they get used, where they get used. Because, I mean, by all accounts, it, it, for, it, it just, for me, it seems like Todd McClellan never really had full control over roster decisions. Lineup decisions, maybe he had that control, but as far as who's on the team, who gets called up, who gets traded, who gets signed. All that is Rob Blake. And, and that's pretty much most general managers' decisions, right? That's their priority is they make their decisions. And I guess I, I don't know how many have discussions with their head coach as far as those decisions, but clock is ticking on Rob Blake now. his team, his decisions, his his coach. He was the one that brought in Todd McClellan. He was the one that gave him the five-year, five, five million-per-year deal. And if McClellan isn't the answer, the guy you paid, you, you made the highest-paid coach in the NHL, if he's not the answer, you have to look at yourself. You have to look at the general manager. All the decisions that have been made over the past year and a half, and that's it's, that's what's so weird too. I mean, we can all point to the PL Dubois trade being the big 
eyesore in terms of the salary cap situation for the Kings right now. But this is still a team that has high expectations and should be meeting those expectations. This is a team that's too talented to be floundering that the way that they have been in the past, this past month or so. We saw this team play like a Stanley Cup contender for the first 20 or so games. That was what everybody envisioned going into the season with the moves that were made. A team that can finally contend. But when you don't make adjustments, when things are going badly, that's how coaches get fired. But man, I mean, like I, when I saw it this morning, I don't know if you saw, I don't know who I replied to. They'd asked me if, if I saw Todd McClellan getting fired, if it would have happened by now. And I was like, well, I, I don't see it happening. It, like and I mentioned it, like it would have happened by now. And sure enough, as soon as I hit that send button, it, it, I looked at my phone and it was, yep, there it was. But I don't know, like, does this make the Kings better? It certainly feels like it's more of a, symbolic firing, right? I mean, it's not like you're bringing in a new voice. You know, I don't expect a big change in system. I mean, a lot of people are pointing like, oh, the 131 is gone. I don't see the 131 being gone. You, this is That's an organizational thing. That's You change the 131 at the NHL level, you change it at the AHL level with all those prospects that are learning that system. So I don't see any huge system change happening. This more or less feels like a symbolic change. I know you have a new voice at the head coaching position, but I mean, Jim Hiller's constantly on the ice talking with all the players. He's the guy in charge of the power play. Trent Yanni does all the defensive stuff. So, I mean, you're not making a huge change in terms of bringing in a new, a new guy at the helm. This is a wake-up call to the players. This is Rob Blake telling his players, like, look what you did. Or look what you made me do. But it's also, I mean, it's all, like I said, it's also Rob Blake, his clock ticking. This is the team that he gave Tom McClellan. That's why I don't, I don't fault McClellan 100%. Never did. It's the roster he was given. He was, did the best he to his ability to, to make them a, a good team, a successful team. And yeah, you can question the line of decisions. I certainly have at times, but all in all, I mean, he's playing the players that he was given. So I think it's more, this is more or less a wake up call to the players to, to tell them to get their act together, start playing like the contending team that we saw at the beginning of the year. They're too good, too good to be playing as bad as they have been. Have to be better. Will this make them a better team? <laughs> have a really good test to find out on February 10th when the Edmonton Oilers come into town, right? That's a really good litmus test to figure out whether this message has really gotten across. I mean, I can't wait to hear what the players have to say. McClellan was well-liked in the locker room. Really good with the media, really transparent. 
you listen to any one of his post-game press conferences, he'll tell you straight out what happened. He's not going to leave anything to chance or leave anything hiding. He'll tell you straight up, point blank. We heard it after the Buffalo game when they lost 5-2. The amount of stupidity that went into that loss. He'll call out players. He'll bench players. I feel like he did everything in his power to try to make this team better. Like, that's, that's I've always wondered, like, who is truly the one that's making these roster decisions? Who's truly the one that's keeping certain players in the lineup? There's no more excuses for Rob Blake now. Clock's ticking on him. From what I'm looking at, this looks like Jim Hiller's first head coaching job. I, I was trying to find if I could see anything. He's been a head coach in the past, and I couldn't really find anything. It looks like he's only just been an assistant coach. I know he's been a, a head coach at the WHL level. I'm looking at elite prospects right now, but I don't see any head coaching positions. Maybe he took over in an interim basis beforehand, but yeah, it's, this could be his first first go. And I know a lot of you probably are wondering, like, why didn't they bring in a new voice? I I, I don't see it. I, I this more or less, it doesn't seem like something the organization would do. Maybe whether that's the right decision or the wrong decision, that remains to be seen. But I mean, this has never been an organization that goes outside the group that they know, right? This has been Luke and Rob and all them. They always fall back to who they know and who they're familiar with. They're familiar with Jim Miller, obviously, so stick with him. Hopefully the players get the message and ride the rest of the season. But if things don't turn around, all that trending of fire Tom McClellan on X or Twitter is going to turn to fire Rob Blake. That's just the nature. So it's on the players. I mean, I mean, as much as we want to talk about the coach, like you got your wish, right? We got our wish. The players that it is, I wasn't the one wishing for this. I, I didn't ever, like I said, I never thought it was McClellan's fault. But for those that are wanting the coaching change, you got your wish. Maybe the players wanted this change too. So they got their wish too. But it's on the players. It's on them. Team is too good to be bad. Too good. Look inward. Look in the mirror. We've already had Drew Doughty calling out the players. He's probably done as much as he can. He's also got to look at himself. He hasn't been good. Kevin Fiala, Pierre Dubois. All the players that are struggling, maybe not playing like a team. You need to play like a team. This isn't a team that the LA Kings have never been a team that's going to have those S-tier superstars on the, on the roster. They're never going to have players that are going to carry them to a Stanley Cup run or a championship. It's a team that's going to be built off depth and balance. If you don't play with cohesiveness, if you don't play together, you're not going to win. So look at yourselves if you're a player. What do you got to do to help the team win? McClellan got fired, changed the coach. That's normally 
what it takes for a team to wake up. We've seen it. We saw it happen in Edmonton. Other teams have gotten better after other coaching fires. I mean, what, McClellan's like the sixth or seventh coach to get fired this year? Really nothing else that Rob Blake can do. Can't make a big trade. This is probably the the only hand he could deal or play. Whatever. It's on the players. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to the game of February 10th, right? I mean, if this doesn't wake up the team. If you don't, if this doesn't, if this change doesn't wake up the team, if the, if the, seeing the Edmonton Oilers on the other side of the ice doesn't wake you up, then this, then they're lost. They're lost. So I don't know. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm just, just as surprised as you guys are. Um, let's uh bring in some of you guys. I see you guys want to request to talk, so let's bring in some of you guys. Dustin Brown's water bottle. Love the love the name, by the way. What's up, man? So you're muted. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. You're good. Um, <laughs> I'm honestly happy to see this happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. Todd has been an incredible guy to have the rebuild come in. Just put structure down but he was never going to be the guy that was going to win championships he wasn't going to go deep in the playoffs just looking at his track record right he doesn't have a history of winning in the playoffs or i don't know like coaching a team through adversity i think Mm -hmm. to be honest todd's numbers were pretty or todd's job was numbered when um like the moment that gavrikov got injured in the islanders game Everything went downhill from there, and he never recovered from the spin. It was just bad for the entire time after. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of wins, and like this, this win against Nashville was, you know, it was great to see, but they should have never gone down the way they did. They should have definitely beaten the Predators in a completely different way, and they should have won a lot more games that they lost. But I think Jim Hiller was in the background like, I want to do this, let's try this, and Todd probably said no a lot. Maybe. He just never adapted. Yeah, that's what so. I'm curious about is how, like, how much conversation or discussion went into place, or, or I guess argument really go into lineup decisions. That's like, there's so many questionable ones. I mean, like, and I'm not going to say like that's the reason these teams are like the, these games are being lost. Like, you're, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say Andres Anglin is the, is the only reason, or you're not playing Arthur Kaliev enough, or, or s- s- small things like that. But like. Ultimately, it's on the players, but even still then, like, there are some questionable decisions and roster moves being made that make you just wonder, like, how much of, like, how much of Tom McClellan, like, how much of his hands are on those decisions? And like you said, like, he, his track record, unfortunately, speaks for itself. Like, we, we, as fans of the LA Kings, we've seen it firsthand in 2014. So it's like, when you have a, a, a coach like that at the helm that has that track record in history, confidence is going to be a little low when you go into a playoff series, especially for the last two years when you've lost to the same team and almost by the same way and in the same fashion. So it's like, 
how how confident in you, can you be as a fan base and as a, a player on the team uh, to have a guy like that leading you to the, into the playoffs? So I guess maybe that goes into it. But yeah, like I think more more of my questioning into this decision is was it because of McClellan's disagreements with uh, some of the moves that were being made? Like I wonder, like what was his um, ultimate? Uh, I guess decision or, or I guess what he thought about the PLD trade. Like, was that something he signed off on? Was he okay with that? Well, I mean, I, me personally, like, okay. So if you look at us as fans, we've always picked one player and one member of the coaching staff or front office that we're like, they can, you know, they can get lost basically, you know, for a while it was Olimata and just yeah. like, but we also hated Marco Sturm because the power play was terrible. Well, Marco Sturm gets sent down to the to Ontario, and now he's a winning Ontario head coach. So you look at all the things that have happened and the way that rosters have been put out, like who gets played on the ice when, who gets paired with who. Yeah. You look at it, and like the only common denominator in all of this, because there's no way that every single player on this team just took a nosedive for like no reason right they all collectively Mm -hmm. just decided to start losing games the only common denominator is the head coach and it's been this way since he came on you know and before we started to win because we were a terrible team and when he came on things got better i like the guy honestly i really do but you look at it and you go okay well marco stern was a pretty good coach he just wasn't a good power play coach and then you know just like there's a lot of little things that in hindsight, they add up and you go, well, this makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think that, go that Todd going is going to give Jim Hiller a chance to kind of like try some new things, open up and adapt, because the one three one was the the knife in the back of every team we played against on the road. That's how you get that you know massive NHL record. But you also lose a lot of games when you don't have structure to recover from a spin of losing one of your top defensive guys. And Drew Doughty in his history has never said anything bad about a player on the team ever. And for him to come out and call out other players, I feel like that was more of like the, no, this is the canary in the coal mine. Maybe look at the guy that's in charge of all these players that are just playing for themselves. And maybe it's true but I feel like he's kind of, you know, signaling, no, this, this is bad. Yeah, I think the one thing that actually stands out to me and, and that I always questioned was, I forget which game it was, but after the, it was after a game and one of the many losses that they sustained, McClellan had said that he's going to wait for the players to pull themselves out of it before making any big changes. And that, like... <laughs> that sticks out because it's like, okay, well then you're just falling back to your kind of old ways where, or that what everybody thinks about you is like, Oh, you don't make adjustments and you just, you just, when things go wrong, you just can't quite figure out a way out of it. And I was like, okay, well you're going back to that kind of mindset and that's what's bringing everything to light. And yeah, like you've mentioned, like he doesn't come across and McClellan doesn't come across as that John Tortorella type. That's going to just call out his teammates or blast players on the bench and, vocally or visually or anything like that so like like you make a great point where maybe it's drew maybe drew dowdy calling out his players was just kind of him saying like somebody's got to do it at this point if it's not going to be the coach like it's got to be me because 
it's like even in the media like we talk about like how I, I talk about how transparent he is and stuff like that and he's he's been one to call out maybe more of the younger players but he's never really been too vocal to call out any individual like stars besides that once where he called out a PL Dubois a little bit and told him that it's time for him to be an impact player. But as far as like Kevin Fiala or anything like that, like any players that have been struggling and not just single out Fiala, but any players that have been struggling, he's always been reluctant to call out those players or even change them. Like even like we've seen benchings happen so far this year. And I, I remember I just go back to Fiala when he got benched in that San Jose game, he responded. And we haven't seen, I don't think we've seen enough change in terms of the lineup decisions or anything like that to warrant uh, this team being played better and maybe even sending a message enough. So I think maybe that's probably the nail in the coffin in terms of like, okay, well, if if coach is not going to make those adjustments and he's not going to be the vocal leader that this team needs, because it certainly seems like this team needs a vocal leader behind the bench. This team needs a kick in the ass every once in a while, especially of late, because it certainly it, it feels like they're just caught in a rut and they they have no direction and they're just a, a boat without a rudder. So, it, it, I don't know. It, I feel like this this move is probably the right move that needs to be happening to kind of shake up the mindset of the players probably going into the rest of the year. Well, and if you look at it, like what happened with Fiala, like you just said, the benching, it was one. Well, it wasn't even a full game, right? How long mm-hmm. was he benched? A couple periods. Yeah, and then the next game he comes back. He makes the same mistake. Mm-hmm. He's he's. Yeah. I don't know if he's ever had, uh, you know, at work like a manager, a direct supervisor, or somebody. But you you have two types of managers most of the time. You have like that one guy that's just you know a total a hole that's always on you, kind of a micromanager. But you respect them and you usually follow what they have to say. But if they go too far in the other direction, you lose respect for them because they don't care. But then you have the other manager that's too soft that you don't really respect and you won't really follow the direction, but you feel comfortable. I feel like Todd's kind of pushed over into the softness aspect because what you look at on this team is this isn't a team with, you know, every single player on the team minus one or two guys is, you know, 18 to 22. You have six leaders that Mm -hmm. you can point out by name that could wear the C at any moment. And that's something that if you don't have one guy that's like, you guys need to lead by example and everybody else will follow. This is what you need to do every day, day in, day out. You need to go to practice. You need to do your best. You need to spend that time on the ice. You need to develop new plays. These are the new systems. And I feel like you just didn't do it. I feel like they were riding high on, you know, a big, huge away game win streak. And they never really put a system in place because they thought they were unstoppable. This is what happens. And, you know, Great coaches are all different types. You don't have to be that, you know, John Tortorella, every player needs to have a clean shaven face and I'm going to scream at you, you know, every period. But like somewhere in between, I feel like that's why a lot of coaches get fired is because they go one of the other directions and they lose respect or they lose the room. I feel like Todd lost the room. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's certainly the case. I mean, when especially when you have of a, a leader on the team called out his teammates and there's really no change, huge change after that. Like it's, it just, it certainly felt like that there was no consequences to, to any actions that, that the team was making or any mistakes that the team was making. It's just like, okay, well you just got to learn from it and learn from it with yourself. And at, at certain points like that, that works and okay. But when you just, it continues to happen just night in and night out and you're going on, 
what, an eight-game winless streak, nine-game, whatever, how long it was. It's like, okay, well, how much longer are you going to have to wait before something needs to change here? And I wonder how much the players maybe had a, had a, a thought about that, or and I guess Rob Blake, too. So it certainly yeah. was the nail in the coffin for McClellan. But I appreciate you hopping on here, buddy. I'm going to keep it moving to the next pe- people or next person. Hell yeah, go Kings, go. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Should be fun rest of the season. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Let's go to uh, Connor. Our boy Connor here. Let's get him connected. Connor, what's up, man? Ross, can you hear me? I can hear you. How you doing, buddy? Sweet. I'm stuck on the 110. You know how it is. Uh, <laughs> huge, I mean, huge news. Uh, I think I, I agree with a lot what was already said. Um, I think this actually comes at a perfect time. I mean, you look at historically a lot of the times when coaches are let go the team do the teams do respond like it's an automatic response it's something that Rob Blake had to do because there's little options I think there's what like 800,000 no no it's it's probably less it's like a 10 like $89,000 worth of cap space when everyone's there's just not a whole lot that you can do uh, this came at a time where it needed to happen the February 10th is a huge game huge. Um, you know Edmonton will yeah, Edmonton could be possibly breaking an NHL record. I think they play Vegas first, but they're going to possibly coming into LA trying to set an, another NHL record. So uh, it's it's a huge moment for the franchise. I think there's obviously rumblings of like bringing in a Boudreaux or a Craig Berube, but like you said, Russ, there's just you don't do a systematic change like that midway through a season. Uh, I I think they did it with Daryl Sutter, but I don't think they changed that much. And like with that team, the talent was there. I, I think the obvious like pinhole here is having a guy like Rob Blake create a roster that had its deficiencies. It had like the talent and the depth to be a true contender. And I think it showed, but I, it, it's tough for me because I think it comes down to like trying to manage a guy like Dubois who's who had issues, who's had issues with management in the past. Um, you gave him a flyer, you gave him the opportunity, you gave him the place he wanted, the contract he wanted. Mm-hmm. And now he's your third line center. And it's kind of like this abysmal situation where what is McKellen supposed to do? Just continue to deprod him. And you could probably speak to this better or, you know, my colleague Austin Stanovich, but it seems like he's always outside of his locker ready to talk to media and be open about it. But I think when you bring in a guy like that's tough to manage, you see a guy like Drew Doughty speak up and say, hey, like this is coming down to individuals, their selfish play like that was unprecedented. I know that he's done that uh, What after the 2021 season where he's like, we need to bring in guys. Yeah. And Rob Blake acted. So I think this comes down to leadership. Um, I think this is a huge moment for the franchise. Obviously, things, you know, Murphy's Law, things could go wrong. You know, they, they can go wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very finicky time where they, they're going to need to respond. And the timing of it, mid-All-Star break, they don't play till the 10th. They've got all this time off to sit there and just kind of marinate in it. I mean, what do you what do you think about that time they're going to spend marinating it, Russ? Oh man, yeah, that's that's the thing too. Is like when you make a decision, I mean, you, you probably think about it, like most of the players are probably taking a vacation or in Mexico, wherever they're at. So they're probably hearing this news. Like, I wonder like how this decision was made. Was it like okay, McClellan and Rob Blake have a meeting after the 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 last game and then talk about what's going on and if disagreements happen and they're like, okay, well, let's just set, go our separate ways, or it's something that. Rob Blake had kind of had in his mind, like going into it. Like, that's where, like, I always thought, like, okay, well, if this decision was going to be made, like, this would be the time to do it. And 
And to do it on a Friday, like Friday morning, like right before, like the All-Star game is tomorrow. Like, so to do it on, on the Friday morning before the All-Star game is it, pretty wild. But yeah, like I can imagine like what the players are thinking about it. I mean, like to hear from Rob Blake on Monday is going to be wild. And I just can't wait. I know the first practice is on Thursday. So mm-hmm. like that's, that's going to be the thing I'm going to be watching for. Like, okay, well, like if, if big changes are made in terms of how the lineup is constructed, then it's going to – then the perception is going to be, okay, well, McClellan was reluctant to make those changes. And some people in the room, and I, I guess Hiller may be one of those players, people included, wanted to make change, and it just was the head coach that was in disagreement with everybody. So the practice, that first practice on February 8th on Thursday, is going to be very telling to see what happens, whether it, this was just more of a symbolic change or like you said, like can it be as more of a systemic change? Not necessarily getting away from the one three one, but getting new players paired together and getting new lineups out there, new defensive pairings out there. So that'll be the big thing to watch for going into next week. Yeah, I, I think it breathes new life in. I think it's a like the proverbial. I think it's the, the kick in the ass this team needed. I mean, I'm like slightly amazed, but also disturbed that like the damage threshold was that high. I mean, I can't think about a worse January played in uh, obviously my short-term memory. Of, I've been only following the team for about two decades, but I mean, there's some hardcore fans out there that, you know, had, had probably watched this team since, you know, Nick Nixon was first calling it on radio and Bob Miller. But uh, I can't think of a, a worse February, uh, sorry, a worse January. And that damage threshold for Rob Blake and Todd, Mc- I mean, it probably wasn't even fully on Todd McKellen. I mean, I think you said it perfectly. I think the, the next Damo to fall or the next hot seat is is Rob Blake. I mean, you built this roster. You made a. It was a very risky off season. It was an all in type of poker table setup. Texas Hold'em, however you want to look at it. And this was a risky off season that had two outcomes: either this team is possibly going to crumble, or you go lift a Stanley Cup or get past the first round at a minimum. McKellen has won rounds before. McKellen has been to the conference final twice. Uh, you know, he's never, he's never won it as a head coach. He won, you know, won as assistant coach with the Red Wings, but he's never won at all. I'm most Kings fans know him from the Oh three comeback against the Sharks. I mean, that was abysmal, but this guy has won in the, in the playoffs. But I, I, I mentioned this to stand out to the day, Russ, when, when was the last time a team won the Stanley cup in the one, three, one, I can only remember Tampa Bay going to 2011 in the conference finals, losing in game seven. They ran the one, three, one. I cannot recall a team ever winning with the one, three, one. I think Tampa Bay still runs that same system. I could be wrong, though, but it's the same coach, right? John Cooper was the same coach at that time. So, I, but like I said, it could be wrong. I don't know. One three one. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's a big question mark. Yeah, everybody, everyone wants to point to that. It, when it's work, when it works, it works. This is, that's the thing. It's, it's, oh yeah, we've heard, and, and it's not going away. Exactly, and we've heard players that they uh, opponents that they play against. I forget who it was, but they they talk about how frustrating it is to play against it. So. I wonder how much that goes into it because, I mean, when Drew Doughty made those comments after the game, like that, and, and Andre Kopitar, even himself included, like they talked about like how players were going like, outside the system. So I'm wondering, and it's funny actually, even going back and thinking about it, like watching the, the games after that, you saw them go back to that 1 3 1 system quite a bit more. So I wonder how much those call outs from Doughty and Kopitar were hit, them talking about players that aren't playing into the system as what made them successful. I think that's actually a line that Drew Doughty even used. So, yeah, I, I wonder how much, like, Jim Hiller is going to get on these these players to maybe input, uh, go into that system even further. 
or he's maybe going to give them the freedom to do what they want to do on the ice and what he feels is going to be successful. But like, like I said, I don't see any big systemic changes being made um, with, I mean, it's not necessarily a huge change as far as a new voice. It's like I said, it's a voice that's been in the room for almost a year and a half now. So, Yeah. And this, this probably almost certainly was the only option left. I mean, you're, only you know, I see yeah. these, yeah, they, yeah, it's the only option they could have done. What do you, obviously it's more comical than anything, but like these trading Dubois, Dubois has a no movement clause. I mean, there's, you, you got to stick with the roster that Rob Blake created mm-hmm. and crafted and they're going to stick with the one three one they're keeping a you know a local and a well-known voice within the locker room i i'm kind of curious to see who replaces uh jim hiller in that spot and that vacancy i mean i would hope they would not bring up marco sturm so because he's having success in the ahl um but this is this is an all-out last this is the only option move they have and the results are going to have to happen. The players are going to have time to mar- plenty of time to marinate it. I, I expect a very up-tempo practice on the 8th, like you mentioned. And you're talking about a huge, huge game on the 10th. And I and you you talk about the one three one and how players have talked about it. But you know something that stood out with me with Connor McDavid's comments the last time we played them? The game that also started off the skid, the 3-2 to two shootout loss. And then the next, the next game was the 3-0 Toronto shutout. Was that Connor McDavid was like, we know... We know what type of game the LA Kings are going to bring, mm-hmm. and I'm obviously paraphrasing. We know what type of game the LA Kings are going to bring, but we also know what we have to do. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be hard, but we know what we have to do to win. Yep. And that's that kind of stood out to me as the the one three one. Yes, you can win on that, but it's been around. Teams have obviously also figured it out, and it it's something that's not going away. But it's something that maybe there have to be some small changes, either lineup personnel. Um, or in the way they do things, pace. But yeah, yeah. I mean, they're in a in a pretty finicky situation, and uh, we'll we'll have to see. Tenth is a huge day. Yeah, it's a huge day. I think the eight, yeah, like the eighth is a huge day. The fifth is a huge day. Next week is just a, a huge week for this organization. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and lastly, Russ, like what, just just because it's comical. I mean, how do you feel as Cam Talbot, as the sole representative of the Austrian? Like, I wonder what the conversations he's having, like other players and the media there. It's like, well, I'm the only Kings representative here. You know he's hearing it right now. Oh, man. Uh, I feel bad. <laughs> he's going to get all those yeah. questions being asked <laughs> by the media out there. He's, he's went from Cam Talbot just went from a guy who's just kind of there at the All-Star game to now everybody's going to be the focal point and try to get some answers. Um, and, and he thought the tough question was going to be his 0-6-2 record since, uh, gosh, since the Toronto game, really. But yeah. um, I will I will let the next person go up. I appreciate the time, Russ, and I'll see you on the 10th. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, buddy. Anytime. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people are asking, like, wondering who's going to take over for Jim Hiller's spot. Uh, they already have a 30 assistant. They already had a 30 assistant coach in Derek Johnson. And I know he wasn't, he wasn't on the bench during games, but he's obviously – at the games and in the box. So I'm curious, I'm curious if he maybe just takes over a role behind the bench uh, for games. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, he's the guy, he was a skills coach, I believe before this season. And he's normally the guy on the ice with the players working on practice and and all that good stuff. So I'm curious to see if he'll be assuming the role behind the bench as like an assistant coach. But it's, it's funny because a lot of people are wondering like why, why it took so long for this to happen. I mean, just think about it. Like yesterday, we're only two weeks from yesterday 
when Rob Blake met with the media to have his like mid-season press conference. And at that time, he said he wasn't thinking about making a coaching change. And I'm just going to even quote him. He said, I'm going to rely on the players and the leadership to get us out of it. And he pointed to that being management. What, they won two games after that? And what, uh, two in 10 games or so? I, I don't know what the exact number is, but I mean, it didn't. No one, no one around the organization or fans or anything kind of felt like they ever really pulled themselves out of whatever rut they're in. So, yeah, you, this this is really the only the only thing that Rublet can do. It's the only play he had. He doesn't have the salary cap. He's not going to make any big trades. So when you have a team that he feels is successful enough to be or good enough to be successful in the playoffs and make a long Stanley Cup run, then, yeah, unfortunately, this is what happens. Uh, let's go to Create. What's up, Create? Looks like you're muted. Hello. Yo, what's up, man? Yo, Russ, thank you for having me on, bro. Uh you know, I don't want to jump the gun, really, uh, looking forward to the 10th for that Oilers game. Uh, I do believe that's going to be a focal point of the season, maybe turn things around that game. Or, you know, if it goes really bad, I think that's just going to be like the final nail in the coffin. Um, I really want to touch up on, yeah, getting rid of Todd. I guess that that that's like, you know, saving grace for Rob. You know, that's like the only move he can make. And I think it's more of saving his seat, you know, at the helm. By, uh, you know, changing, you know, something that other teams have done and they got them moving forward. Uh, but what I want to talk upon is that I personally believe that leadership has just given up um, totally on the Kings itself. Like leadership as in not the front office, but the team itself. Uh, I look back on the 2012 year, you know, when we switched out Murray for Sutter. Uh, looking up and down that roster, I personally believe that roster was, you know, I don't want to say as, you know, purely talented as, you know, how some guys are like Fiala or some guys you have like more, you know, like pure talent. But as far as leadership, you know, that grit, that grind, I, you know, the Nolans, you know, those teams, like the, those players that they had that, you know, just contributed, like the Cliffords that contributed in different ways. Uh, I, I don't see anybody on the team really, you know, you know, taking that role upon themselves. And, Besides Dowdy, I, I, I don't I don't really see anyone else calling anybody out, you know? Like, I feel yeah. like Danol having that A on his chest is just a, you know, a respect thing. I don't even think, you know, he's the leader that's, like, quite, like, you know, cut out to be that everyone's thinking. Or, honestly, another change, in my opinion, should be stripping the C away from Kopi and, you know, probably giving it to Dowdy at this point because... You know, you you need that vocal leader in the room, you know, like just to wake everybody up, especially PLD, who's just been total, you know, I want, I don't know, lack of better phrasing, garbage can, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one thinking that. But as far as like Drew Doughty calling everybody out, I, I mean, we obviously, we don't know what's going on behind the closed doors. So we don't know who's yeah. being called out. I mean, Drew Doughty was obviously the first person to do it uh, vocally and, and publicly, I guess. So... Like, but I think what we were just talking about, I think with Connor beforehand is when you have, have a coach that doesn't really make those changes or, or have those consequences for the players that aren't playing like the team or what the team should be doing to the system, 
then then the player's going to get upset. Like the the more veteran players get upset. And I feel like that's what really got to Drew Doughty more more than anything is he's probably the one thinking like I'm playing the system and I know what it takes to win. But he's seen these other players and I don't want to single anybody out, but he's seen these other players go away from that system and try to do their own thing. And that's not what's going to help this team win. That's not what's going to make this team successful. Like I said, like they don't have those superstar talent to carry them to be a contending team. They need to play within the system that works and play as a, as a unit. So when that's not happening and the coach isn't making any adjustments to, to get into those players ears, then I'm sure that's where frustration starts to boil in. And that's where I, that's just my take on it. I don't, like it just sucks because I, I've, I always thought McClellan was a good coach. He was, he was really good with the media. Very, very like very transparent. Like I've talked about, but like some adjustments, that probably needed to be made that weren't being made. That's where the questions come into play. Yeah, totally. I agree. Uh, honestly, I think uh, everything's pretty much a little bit premature until the tenth. I think that's just going to be a big, you know, game. Uh, big implications, uh, kind of like a playoff atmosphere, in my opinion. That's probably what they need to bring that game. You know, just to like punch them in the mouth and come off strong after the All Star break. Because uh, I believe that coaching change should have happened a little bit early. Like when they did it with Sutter, he had, you know, at least till the end of the year, like in 2011, to, you know, right the ship. Like, you get yeah, it in like, November, yeah. right? Or early I think it was like, yeah, uh, mid December, we they let go of Murray and then they brought him on. And then I guess before we had time before the All Star break just to, you know, get everything set. Right now, I just feel like, when is it that that's what I'm saying? I think the tent is going to be a big game because like when is it that it's too late you know like i just want to look at that point too uh like it i, I want to be optimistic but when when do you say you know like it it was too late the changes were made like way too late yeah i mean we're, we're there's only 34 games left in the season so it's exactly like, and we're yeah, yeah we're, we're just a couple weeks away from the trade deadline so like this is the this is the oh, i don't want to say it's a stretch run but it certainly feels like it um, I mean, usually after the also break, it's always kind of like, okay, like now it's the, the nitty gritty. So it, whether it's too late or the move, I mean, this team, like, look at the standard. Like, obviously they're still in a playoff spot. The, the goal differential is still pretty high, even though a lot of that's points in the early part of the season. But yeah, they should, this should be a playoff team. <laughs> Just by the way, Edmonton and Vegas and Vancouver are playing, it'd be, be hard pressed to see him making a, a, a making one of those top three seasons in the Pacific Division, which is just crazy to think about. But like this team should still make the playoffs, and and if they don't make the playoffs, I mean, man, yeah, that's going to be some more. Probably heads heads are going to be rolling. So this yeah. has to be this is going to be Rob Blake's like final final straw. Is is if this team's going to be successful, they're going to have to win a playoff round because at this point, I, I, that's why. Like when someone asked me, like, do you see Tom McClellan getting fired. And I was like, I don't, I don't see it because I feel like they're just going to get, they already gave him that one year extension before the season started. Or it wasn't even before the season started. It was literally right after this last season ended. So they already gave him that extension. So I feel, I, I felt like they were going to give him one more year to say, okay, well, like we gave you this team. Who knows whether it was the team that he wanted, but we gave you the talent in front of you. If you can make it past the first round, we'll give you another year and go from there. But if you don't, then we're going to have to let you go. But I mean, but by the way, this team is playing. Rob Blake made the decision to go, to get rid of him now, and 
like like now all of a sudden the consequences are going to fall on him and the expectations are going to fall on him because it was before it was okay if you don't get past the first round then McClellan's got to go now it's going to be okay if you don't get past the first round then probably Mark Rob Blake's got to go so now the expectation is going to fall on him and he's going to be the one that has to fall on the sword if the, they don't meet those expectations yeah exactly I appreciate you hopping on here buddy thank you thank you have a good one you too let's go to Corey Abby, I see you requested. I'll go to you next, all right? Corey, what's up, man? I think you're muted there. Oh, you there? All right, Corey, when you fig- while you figure that out, I'm going to go to Abby. Abby, what's up, Abby? Hi, good morning, guys. Morning. Happy Friday. Yeah. Um, shocker Friday for sure. I was in the shower. My husband called me and said, T-Mac got fired. I got out so fast and checked and it was shocking to say the least. Um, wow. So many things, but I think my takeaway is I'm almost hoping that T-Mac was the problem. I feel like. (laughs) I I think we're all hoping that too. (laughs) Yeah, the thought of it not being T-Mac and it being more of a player situation is more scary to me than it being the coach. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that with the coaching change, we can really just see everybody wake up and start making that climb again to solidify our spot. But if not, then it almost seems like this season's doomed and we have to start over again with a new coach and possibly a new GM because like you said, if if it's not T Mac and it's, you know, the coaching or the players, then the next person that has to take the fall would be Rob. So I don't know. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. It's pretty wild. I hope it's the coach and I really, really hope it's not the players because I, I feel like we're kind of fucked if it's the players. <laughs> no, you're you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah, it's like with the way that the salary cap situation looks and, and everything for the future, I mean, there's not really any big player changes that can be made. I mean, unless they just want to completely sell, sell like be sellers at the deadline, but I, I don't see that happening. Like a lot of people want to point to Matt Roy being traded. And I don't see that happening. I think this is, like you said, like with Rob Blake now being the player, the person's going to have to meet these expectations for the, for the team, then he's going to try to ice the best talent talented team that he can that he can do i mean so you aren't not going to see any trades hopefully i think like with uh um our last caller like mentioned february 10th is going to be huge but we're all hoping that maybe like it sucks to say but yeah we're all hoping that mcclellan was the problem which i I don't necessarily think it's it it was all it was all him i never really pointed to him being 100 percent the issue but that first practice is going to be telling because if there are big lineup changes, then there, I would expect McClellan to be the one that was the vocal person behind a lot of the reluctant adjustments that probably needed to be made. So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious that first practice on Thursday is going to be, be interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I heard from other listeners that um, he, he just doesn't seem like that aggressive type of coach. And I know we've had such success with Daryl Stutter and his style, but eventually 
you know, they locked him out of the locker room too. And that wasn't working anymore. (laughs) So it's, it, it's hard to say if we do need somebody that's going to push a little more and deal with these strong personalities that are in the locker room. And, um, also just hearing Dowdy call out without mentioning names, just hearing what he said when he said that I was also shocked and taken aback because that's not like him to speak to the media and to speak to the play- to his players in that fashion. So I feel like that was like, something's coming. Something's going to happen. It's going to get worse before it's going to get better. And I really, really hope that the players can just wake up and start playing for their team. Yeah. I mean, we never hear Dowdy call out players. We ne- You never really hear NHL players really rarely ever call out their team. So things had to be going really badly in the locker room. And it's, that's what, that's what sucks because we've talked about, like I mentioned earlier, when you don't have that superstar talent or really a lot of other vocal players in the locker room, like, like Dowdy, and to hear that, I was like, oh man, shit's pretty bad there. So you, you hope that Tom McClellan was the problem. I don't, I don't think he was the entire problem, but it's going to be on the players to, to look at themselves. And I'm, I wish I was a fly on the wall to that first player meeting when everyone gets yeah. back together after the vacation because they're going to have to look at themselves. And I, like, I know McClellan is a very well-liked guy. Like, I, I don't, I didn't ever heard anything bad in terms of how the players talked about him or anyone on the staff talked about him. Very, very nice guy. So it, it sucks that, it, that it, it came to this because I thought he was, he he was a great coach. So it sucks that it came to this, but I mean, hopefully that the players can look at this as a wake up call to see, okay, well, we're the ones that got McClellan fired. Hopefully they can turn their game around and pick it back up on the 10th. Yeah. Let's hope, let's hope that they can do that. I feel like, like you mentioned earlier too, that um, our vets know that this is a team that stands on the system. And like you said, we don't have big players to come and save our ass every day. We have to really fight and work for it and do a good job. And I feel like if some of the personalities in the locker room don't have that same mentality, that it's going to, it's going to go downhill from there. But thanks for letting me hop on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Have a good weekend. Let's keep it rolling. You know, what's weird too is like, like it, you kind of saw like these the last few games before even the Nashville game that they won. Like we saw, like it just seemed like the team was just lifeless almost at times on the ice. Like and not even just like single players. Like it just sound, you kind of could feel it. Like like even that Buffalo game where they lost at home, the Sharks game before that. Like there was just really no life to the team. And then all of a sudden, you see a young kid. And Alex Turcott joined the team. It's like all of a sudden there's energy. It's like, where has this been? And you almost wonder, like, maybe that that lifelessness had almost just like poisoned the entire locker room. But you get to the point where now all of a sudden you inject some new young blood on and you see that energy just come out on the ice. And we saw it like 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 I was I was like caught aback by how like well Alex Turcott played. And I'm not gonna say like he's gonna be the savior of the season. But hopefully, like, maybe his impact on on the game, on the ice, and even just in the locker room. Because you saw a lot of the the players kind of 
get behind him, like, and they know, like, the journey that that player had, has gone through with his injuries and concussions and all that good stuff. So to see a player like that get his first goal and, and show that enthusiasm, I mean, that that smile that he had and his celebration on that goal, it's like, like, Kings fans had, had, like, we hadn't seen that, like, since, what, November? Like, we hadn't seen a player so, show that much excitement and that much enthusiasm in a game since the t- since things were going good, so like to see that on the ice from a young player who's gone through so much and this journey that he's had, like as a player as a teammate, you have to just kind of get feel, get that feeling to like rally behind him. So I, hopefully that's something that can kind of carry this team and then um, like just inject some youth into this lineup, inject some enthusiasm and some excitement. You guys are professional hockey players; you need to be playing up to par to what you should be expected to be. This is a Stanley Cup contending talent roster you should be that contender you should be that team that we saw in october and november this isn't a team that needs to be floundering around and showing lifeless and calling each other out in the locker room you have expectations to me you have a fan base that's been waiting for you guys to get back back to that stanley cup level prominence you have to be playing up to whether you want to play for each other play for yourselves play for yourselves keep it going uh tyler What's up, Tyler? How you doing, man? Get you connected in here. Tyler, are you there? Hey, Russ. Thanks for having me. Hey. Yeah, of course, man. How you doing? Good, good. Um, Got to say, I love the Roll of Halves tweet today, which basically says we're going to go on a 16-game winning streak right now, right? So, I'm looking <laughs> up. We can have that to look forward it. to. Need yeah. the positivity. I know, I know. The thing that um, comes up, and I think we've talked about it today, is like, it seems to me this is kind of like a John Stevens situation. Like, we got rid of Darius Suttle, or whatever, whatever we did. Stevens came on board, and it seemed like he didn't have the kind of respect, obviously, from the players. And I don't know, like, what the level of respect in the locker room is going to be for Jim. And do you, as a player, respect a assistant coach coming in and becoming a head coach, right? And I think, like you talked about, it's all kind of with the players right now. And secondly, is Jim going to have the freedom and the guts to really shake up the lines and like, yeah, bench, you know, Fiala, or is he just going to like follow the same patterns that McClellan has followed, which obviously is going to kind of produce the same results. So like, Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful, but also a little nervous that it is going to kind of repeat what it did from, you know, years past. Yeah. That's that's, that's the thing is is we're kind of all just going off of what we've seen before happen. This has happened a couple of times already now. Can this be the, the Terry Murray transitioning to Daryl Sutter situation where things look, look up, or is this going to be another, like you mentioned, John Stevens or really Desjardins situation where it's like, okay, well, the team just kind of just falling back and doesn't really give, give an F anymore. But I mean, I feel like those are two different situations too, because at, yep. at those times when, when that happened, I mean, this team was kind of just on the sunset of their Stanley cup run and not really a good team anymore. Everybody was kind of going their separate ways and certainly felt that, that group had already kind of met its plateau. And, but in 2012, like that was a team that was, should be on the up and up and just wasn't really going anywhere and was kind of stalled out a little bit in terms of their contention or trying to get to that contending platform. So I feel like this is that same kind of team, whereas a team that, that like we saw it, like this is a team that was on the up and up at the beginning of the season and all of a sudden they just fell off as a part, as opposed to not, not like stalling a little bit. They just totally fell and crash landed in January. But, I mean, still too talented of a roster to be as bad as they have been the last month. Yeah, 100%. And I agree. I'll, I'll be hopeful this is Sutter 2.0. And 
and that all we need is just like that tip over to the positive world of, of Daryl Sutter's coaching um, to, to, win the, to, to win the cup. So I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I appreciate you hopping on here, Tyler. I hope you have a good weekend then. Uh, one thing I'll say about uh, Jim Hiller that I've always actually kind of noticed whenever I'm at the practices is, like, <laughs> obviously, like, I'm always paying attention to what P.L. Dubois is doing. Obviously, like, with everything that's been going on, all the, all the hype or noise around him, uh, this season, I'm always paying attention to what he's doing on the ice, how he how he's conversing with his teammates or with the coaches. And, and one one person that I always see Dubois talking to on the ice is Jim Hiller. Anytime that you look on the bench, too, watch watch any of the games where you're. If you go to the games, and you watch the bench and, and see what Dubois is doing. Anytime he's having a conversation, it's not with. It never really was with Tom McClellan. It always was with Jim Hiller after at practices, after practices, staying on the ice after the practice session is done. It's always him and Hiller. So. I'm wondering how much of that kind of went into this decision. I know a lot of people probably were looking for like a Craig Berube or a Jay Woodcroft or Bruce Boudreau, but I, I never saw that happen. Like I talked about earlier, like Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille, they always kind of stick to the people they know and, and the, who they're familiar with. So like, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's a good decision to, to make Jim Heller the replacement, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad decision. You you have a team you, you have a team that's been successful already at the start of the season that all of a sudden are now find themselves on the, the wrong end of these uh losing streaks. So you want a guy that's gonna be familiar with some of these players and the system that they need to run. And hopefully he has relationships built with some players that he can be able to call out players. So you don't need to rely on the Drew Dowdies and the Anjay Kopitars to be the vocal ones to, in the locker room to call out and, and show those consequences. So I'm hoping Jim Hiller can be the voice that this team needs to pull him out of this rut. Uh, let's go to Joey. Hey. Joey, what? Sounds like you're outside somewhere. What's up, buddy? No, I uh, got the, the washer going right now. So oh, there you go, there you go. Trying to, trying to trying to dissolve us of the sins out here. Um, <laughs> Love it. I, I don't know if everyone else feels the same way. It's just like, it's so surprising that this came through. I just, I'm, I just can't believe they actually, they actually went through with and, and fired Todd. Um, so I don't, I'm interested to see what, what you mentioned with how Dubois is, is always, you know, talking to Hiller and how if, if that kind of builds his confidence and like trust within the organization and, um, I don't. I don't know. What do, what do you you think? You think that's something that 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 we that is to be watched for? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a big. Not even just necessarily Dubois. It's got to be how the players are going to respond to it. I think that's going to be the big thing. Like, like I, I like I, I just can't wait for the practice. Like I don't, I don't even care what Rob Blake has to say. Like, what is what is Rob Blake going to say that we all don't already know? The team's <laughs> team is playing. And below expectations, what we, we expected them to be, and we just felt like this is a move that needed to be made. Boom! I made you. I did the whole press conference there for you. But that practice <laughs> exactly. on the eighth, that practice on the eighth is going to be the big tell. It's going to be how the lineups are made, how the players like react to the, everything on the ice, how their how their uh, demeanor is when they talk to the media. That's who I want to hear from. I don't I don't need to hear from management. I don't need to hear from the coaches. You made the decision. I want to hear what the players say about this change because this is like we've talked about there's no other changes that really can be made major changes that can be made besides this so yeah. it's on the players now to look at themselves and say okay how do we react to this and how do we perform now going forward yeah i completely agree um and i'm curious if, if it if it lights if, if it lights 
lights a spark, right? Like, I, I think especially during the month of January, like, the best way to put it is the team looked uninterested. And I, yeah. I think, you know, you and I have talked about it, and then everyone else has talked about it, how they just looked completely uninterested. I mean, the team was softer than baby shit at, at, at some points. They were losing every board battle. Like, they, there was no physicality. They were getting out hit up and down the ice. I know the lineup's not necessarily conducive for a big physical game, but, like, look at the last couple teams that have won the Cup, like Vegas, Colorado. Super skilled, but they were also pieces of shit to play against. Like, you didn't yeah. want to go into the – it didn't matter who it was. You had Eichel winning board battles and being a piece of shit. Like, that's, that's, the, kind of, that's the kind of mentality, and I, I hope that, like, I, you know, coaching changes. It, it, it does, like, you know, it, it unfortunately falls on Todd. I actually really like the guy. I think he's, you know, one of the better yeah. coaches in the NHL. Um, but when you lose a room, it's just – there's nothing else you can do. Like, I mean, look at Woodcroft. He's got two of the, he had two of the best players in the world. Um, and they couldn't do anything. Sometimes you just have to make the change as much as it sucks. Um, but I'm curious to see if it lights the fire under their ass and, you know, hopefully QB gets some more playing time. Cause he's been, I think he's, yeah. he's been, he's this year. He, he, QB has really shown. I know, I know you saw your tweet with, um, about the Tim Stutzel stuff, and I couldn't agree more. I think, I think Byfield is probably one of the biggest pieces on this team right now, and his, like his physicality, his and I. One thing I never understood is why he doesn't get more playing time on the PK with his. Yeah. Like you're, you're his telling reach, me, his speed, you're, yeah. And his, his just like his motor. His motor never stops. You can watch. You can watch sixty minutes of a hockey game. His motor does not stop. And you're gonna tell me that you're gonna tell me that Trevor Lewis is gonna be a better PK is gonna be a better PK guy than than Byfield? I just don't believe it. Love no. Lewis, but like he doesn't. He's older, you know. Byfield's got that young hungriness to him. Like, I mean, that that play he made to Trevor Lewis in Nashville, like that was literally all QB and and mm-hmm. Turcott too. But you know, I I just I want to see. I want to see a little bit more trust in these young guys and like giving them opportunities. Um, I feel like the leash was just getting a little bit shorter and shorter with Todd. And then he would just some, something would happen and he, he would just go back to exactly what he did before. Um, and it, it, it got, we, you know, we talked about it. It got repetitive. Everyone knew what was coming, you know, get the puck in deep up the side, up the wall, D to D shot through somebody's shin pads, two on one, the other way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, Literally like, literally like clockwork. And at the beginning of the year, they did a really good job of like creating some chances off the cycle. And then they just, they stopped, they kept it on the perimeter and like they had no one driving the net. So, um, and and I'm curious what they see, what to see with Brant Clark, how he handles Mm -hmm. that. Cause we know, we know if one thing we know, Anglin was, was Todd's guy. You think so? I think so. He's I, I I forget which call it was, but uh, but somebody said like he's always had this an England type Todd has always had an England type guy in his in his lineup, and okay. there's there's no reason for you know now that now that Hiller's here let's you know I like your dream lineup that you tweeted a couple weeks or a couple days ago that that yeah. that that looks fantastic so we'll see <laughs> and even. The- Brant Clark's yeah. a, a piece of shit to play against. Like, I think it was the, 
the Sharks game, like somebody was coming around, like trying to wheel around in the in the offensive zone, and he just like literally just bodied the dude at the blue line, and he was on him the entire time and got the putt. Like, dude, he's he's got he's got a little edge to him, like a young, hungry, like. Well, I don't understand why he, you know, he's he's got that little bit of pain in the ass to play. So let's let the kid live. Give him the keys. Go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like we we've, we've talked about it. And my my colleague Joe Paterino talked about. It. We've always mentioned like play your best players. Yeah, and that's why I'm gonna like like that first game, February 10th. If you if you're if you're not if you're a Kings player, you're not gonna get up to play against an Edmonton Oilers team, like one of your probably biggest rivals right now, especially after getting your coach fired. Like if that doesn't get you motivated to play a a hard physical, like up-tempo game, then I don't know what else can do it. But like, I, like I love your take on putting Clint Byfield on the penalty kill. Like I've always been a a guy that's like, put your best players on the penalty kill situation. Like, why not? There's more ice. There's like more probably situations. Like you need your smartest and best players, skilled players to make skilled plays when they're up against it. So why not try to give them that, that space and that room to do so? We've seen it with Andre Kobitar for his entire career. He's always been on the penalty kill because he's the best and smartest player on the ice. So exactly. why don't you have Quentin Byfield do it? He's your fastest. He's probably, he's not even, probably he's your fastest player on the team. He's got the longest reach on the team. And like you said, he's got a motor to him. So why don't you give him that opportunity? That might be a little difficult to kind of try to implement right now. But just kind of like in, in its totality, like that's going to be something we'll watch. It's like how much of the young players now will get opportunities going forward. And, and that's what we'll, we'll kind of decide or give us that, that notion to say like, okay, maybe it was McClellan that was holding back uh, Brian Clark and playing Andres England or giving Trevor Lewis a little bit more opportunity here than maybe an Arthur Kaliev or Alex Turcotte going forward. So that's going to yeah. be the, what we'll have to watch to see how much of McClellan's hands were on those decisions. Or maybe it's just Rob Blake who's really making those decisions. Yeah. I, and it, it almost, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it almost seemed like it was not that he didn't like trust the younger guys, but he was like kind of trying to protect them in a sense. Like even like, especially with QB, like with the limited playing time. And it, it was just like, kind of seemed to like not put him in situations where he could, you know, make a mistake and learn from it type of thing. It was like, almost like he was just trying to, 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 to shield him away from it. I don't know. That's what it, it seemed like to me, like with not with some of the limited amount of playing time he was getting and how much he was producing on the ice. It just never made sense to me. So I don't know. Yeah. He, he fell back on the players that he felt like he could rely on. Like I'm yeah. looking at, the box score for the game in Nashville and Quentin Byfield played 13, 13 minutes and 53 seconds. And Andre Kopitar played 18 minutes. So it's like Quentin Byfield is probably one of your best players throughout the entire game. He's probably been one of your best players in this last like two months. Like to yeah. be honest with you, he's been so, like the only bright spot, <laughs> the only bright spot, the most consistent player. And he's, it's, that's even a word that McClellan's used. I feel, I feel like he said that about him after a game or after one of the games uh, recently. So if you're saying that he's been your most consistent and productive player, like why aren't you? Why are you limiting his ice time? Give him the run. Give him the the uh, launching point to kind of step up and really take this team to the next level. Don't have, don't rely on the players that you're familiar with or the more vets. Like if players are playing well, especially in single game situations, like if you're yeah. not making those in game adjustments, like. Like that one game with uh, the first game that Alex Turcotte played, which I thought he was incredible. 
Yeah, he was. He only gave that that entire line with Turcotte, I believe it was Kaliev and Lewis, and uh, which game was it? Not Nashville, but the game before that. That um, St. Louis. St. Louis, yeah, thank you. That that entire line gave up only one shot attempt against, and you only gave them like six minutes in five-on-five play. Why didn't you give them more opportunities? They're showing that they have the capability to do that in-game. This doesn't have to be a full-season decision. Just give them the chance. Give them yeah, the opportunity a, to do so. Be a game manager. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, be the, be the coach. That's what you got to be. Yeah, I, I'm just, I think I, I, everyone is uh, kind of feeling the same way, that like kind of nervous, excited, anxiousness until – Till the tenth, like just wanted wanted to be here already because I think you know that that game against the Oilers when when they lost three two in the shootout, it was arguably the best first period I've ever seen from this King that Kings team. They completely dominated Edmonton. Edmonton had two shots on net. I think the Kings had like fourteen or fifteen shots, and it was two nothing. I remember uh, a buddy of mine went up into the hide lounge and we're like, "Dude, this is we're gonna roll Edmonton. This is insane. This is," and then. That tripping penalty on Dowdy, which was bullshit still to this day, I I, I stand by that. Um, and then they got, and then McDavid scored that goal. That was the complete turnaround from the beginning of the year. That was like this t- turning point. So, you know, let's see if we can get another turning point against Edmonton here. Uh, <laughs> this could be another turning point here. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate you having me on as always. Um, I'll, I'll let somebody else uh, get their two cents in, and uh, I know everyone's got a lot of feelings going on. So appreciate oh, yeah. you oh, there's a ton us. of feelings out there this weekend. So <laughs> I appreciate you as well. Yeah, appreciate you, Joey. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. Uh, let's. Uh, I mean, man, like I, it, I love that what he said. It, it's like nervous feeling. It's like a nervous excitement. It's like this is something that a lot of you wanted. I'm, I'm not going to say that I wanted this to happen. I, I feel like it's probably the right thing that this team needed to do. But, like, at this point, like, you, a lot of people got their wish. And it's like, okay, like, now we're all just kind of waiting for the tents to get here now to see, like, okay, will the team actually respond to the situation? Because if they lay an egg against Edmonton, whew, it's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of upsets, uh, upset feelings going on uh, with this team going forward. Uh, let's go to Gwendolyn. Get you connected here. Gwendolyn, what's going on, Gwendolyn? Oh, hey. Thanks, Russell, for letting me talk. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you doing? Okay, good. Um, you know, I I'm kind of new to this whole arena, so I'm I'm not really up on like who this and who that, but I am a CPA and I really look at this as a businesswoman because I really Love this it. is this is the tip of the iceberg, people. Like uh, I know everybody is like, this is the person and this is the person. But these are human beings going to a job every day like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And yes, okay, Todd might be a cog that needs to be fixed. I completely agree with you. Like everybody, everybody's time comes and goes like this is just life. But when you I really honestly think that the, the management of the team is responsible for this. I agree with you in saying that Todd has been given the team. I look at the decisions that are made money-wise and I'm like, what the hell? Like if, <laughs> if I was the CFO, I would be I would be pushing back and going, why are we, you know, paying one player 
all of this money. And I'm not, I'm not saying I don't like PL. I, I, we don't know what's going on, but Mm -hmm. I know that when you are in a business and you get these people who, you know, are expected to come in and perform and given all this money, these guys work hard. I mean, we know Lizzo, we know these guys that, you know, do know they show up, they do a good job. They, they are an important part of the machine. And when you overvalue one person over a bunch of people who have been with the system a long time, that's going to affect them. Mm -hmm. And sure, I think he should perform more. But when you look at what was said about, I mean, when, when the trade for AI and Gabe and Kapari was made, like I, I pay attention. And when Kopitar says, I like playing with AI, like mm-hmm. what, who's, who's not listening to that, you know? And sure, mm-hmm. maybe the trade was fine. Maybe it was fine, but financially, you know, again, I like team rag, but he got an extension. Why? He didn't, he didn't prove himself this year. So I really, really question the financials of this team because you are setting your workers up for failure if you're not creating a group that works together. And I'm sorry, I've been a part of the team where, you know, I really, I really should be paid a little bit more. I'm working my ass off here. It affects you. It affects your yeah. game. It affects my game. I, I have been there before. I am excellent at what I do. And if I'm not being valued, man, my game goes down. So I, I, I love that you're bringing in that perspective because yeah, like, like you, you talked about, like you mentioned players like Lozat and Deneau, like players that you can, we can all see, like they're leaving it on the ice like every single night. Like there's never a question about their uh, performance or their um, attitude or demeanor or anything like that around the team. It's always like, Oh, we don't have to worry about Lazad. He's the mosquito bug out there. It's going to do what he needs to do. Deneau is going to be blocking five or six shots a game. He's going to do what he needs to do. So when you have those players who are making what Lazat's making 1.5, two million dollars this year or something like that, yeah. and Deneau's making five million dollars, yeah, who and knows? then you bring in like, okay, well we're going to bring in this guy who has all this baggage, and we're going to give him 68 million dollars. Yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from in that situation. So you have like, like you mentioned it right at the top, like these are human beings, so they're going to have their feelings and their their uh, opinions of of certain decisions that are being made by management. I, like the only thing is like I, I push back a little bit because like at, at the end of the day they're professionals and they need to be performing at the professional level so I get Agreed. that there's that there's that point too Agreed. so I mean you you kind of have to it's like okay well like the management's going to make those decisions but I still got to be play my exactly game, play up to my level so this but yeah, is like, true I, yeah I love I love where you're coming from because when you have players that are have being questioned about their performance like drew dowdy's questions whether it's fiala or dubai whoever he's talking about then yeah it's going to affect a lot of the mindset of the other maybe less uh i don't want to say lesser players but the players i guess uh down further that down further the well. i mean yeah. like, we know this team is super deep we saw them at the beginning of the year they were engaged they were i mean their energy was so good like ah uh, it was so good and then, like, I really pay attention to the to the videos and stuff posted on on Twitter because somebody had said that, oh, look, Dino isn't even looking McClellan in the eye. Like, those are the little things 
that you have to look at and go, oh, what, what's going on there? Okay, maybe it was a bad night, whatever. But yeah, I just financially, I, I'm, I'm very, very skeptical. So it's going to affect everything. And it's the Titanic. You can't turn it in five minutes to avoid the iceberg. So there need to be a lot of questions by the ownership. Like, wh what is what is happening? This isn't just about one person. Yeah, I mean, the one who's giving out those those the contracts is Rob Blake and, and yes. Robitaille. They're the ones making the decisions. So, like we've talked about, like now all of a sudden, all the all the expectations are going to fall to them as far as this team. And if this team doesn't meet those expectations, especially this year, everybody's going to be calling for their their. I know There's them to be the ones to, and I'm like head, everybody so. else when he traded quickie like that cut me hard and I could be a big <laughs> whiner and say, oh, you know, fire Rob, fire Rob. Well, you know what? Let's just look at what he's doing because he needs to, he needs to make some repairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, Jonathan, the Jonathan quick trade. Yeah. It, it, that was a tough way, especially the way I guess it went down was maybe what angered a lot more fans than yes. as opposed to just yeah. him actually being traded. So there's yeah. that situation, but like, yeah, like there's a lot of, decisions that Rob Blake has made that can be questioned. You have mm -hmm. the Cal Peterson extension that mm -hmm. gave $15 million to a really an unproven goaltender. And then you had to buy him out. I mean, yeah. everyone wants to point to this PL Dubois trade. I'm still, I'm still a fan of it. I, I know you guys are a lot of upset with it and I'm, I'm still going to be on, on the one I, to say, Hey, I think it's a good deal, but I can be patient, to that point. but yeah. I'm looking at the numbers right now and I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure. I think I think that cap hit won't it won't feel as bad once the salary cap starts going up. So we have to think about that too. But yeah, this first year hasn't been good enough. I'll just say that it's like flat, flat. It just hasn't been good enough. It needs to be better. So that's yeah. why like I'm, I'm curious to see like how he responds because that's going to be the the person that the player that everybody's looking to because we know that Kopitar is going to be Andre Kopitar. We know Drew Doughty's going to be Drew Doughty and all these players that we can expect have still yeah. kind of kept their game going. We can count going. on them. Exactly, and they're but a good team. When you have players that can be like this, I, I talked about this with somebody else on a, on a Twitter space after one of the other games. And, and we talked about how like some of these players that Rob Lick have brought in, haven't they're like more like anti Kings. It's not necessarily the type of players that we see in Kings uniforms, those like hard workers and then going to play to a system and play for a team. It's like you bring in those kind of diva like talents personalities into the system those kevin fialas and pl Dubois, which i think that this team needs like I, you need skilled players like kevin fiala you need those big centermen like pl Dubois. but when they don't perform and when the team doesn't perform then everybody's going to be questioning those moves and i think that's where we're at right now yeah i agree thank you well thanks gwen and i appreciate you bringing on coming on here that's a that was a great perspective thank you have a good weekend you too Let's keep it rolling. Let's go to Lieb. Oh, I can't wait to hear what Lieb says about this. Lieb, what's up, man? Let's get you connected in here. How you doing? Not bad. How are you? Oh, it's a fun way to start the weekend. Yeah, not, that, that kind of took me by surprise, honestly. <laughs> I, I'm very shocked, to be honest with you. When I saw that come in, shocked. Didn't well, I think we knew if it was going to happen, it was going to happen now. But I still kind of didn't expect it. Yeah, I thought it would have happened. Yeah, I guess today probably would have been the last. You're not going to do it on a weekend. So do but I, I thought it would have happened after. yesterday or not at all, really. Yeah, yeah. But so I didn't even really expect it yesterday. 
Mm-hmm. I think yeah. this, 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 this does give us a cool opportunity to like to to dis- disentangle what was taught and what was the organization. Because mm-hmm. we don't know a ton about Jim Hiller. I wouldn't expect much to change on defense, honestly. I, I mean, Yanni's there. Yanni's there. He's still there. Yeah. Um, but I think this will give us a cool opportunity to see, okay, what what forward personnel changes? Mm-hmm. Because that's what he does. That's what he does. He works with the forwards. He works with the power play. We have not a lot of data on him as a head coach, but we do have a lot of data on him over the years as an offensive coach and as a power play coach. And I think it might be interesting to see what happens on the fringes of the forwards. What happens with Jack? What happens with Lewis? What happens with Turcotte? What happens with Sagamo? Is all of this moot anyway because Ari comes back the day after the All-Star game and robs us of all of our flexibility? You know, what, mm-hmm. what, what happens here? I think it's going to be a very interesting thing to look at because it might give us a little bit of a, a better idea of how much the organization mandates specific players playing and how they play and when they play. Absolutely. Yeah, the in-game adjustments that we really haven't seen like we've heard Tom McClellan, he, he, they meet after every game, they, McClellan and the management, they all meet in the room right before McClellan starts talking to the media. And he's, he's talked about it a couple of times, how like the, the, they want to do, he's mentioned, he talks about like they, like they want to do something and he wants to do something. So I know there's disagreements in there somewhere, but like you said, this will, this will give us that opportunity to really see like where those disagreements take place. Whether it's giving the play, certain players more minutes or playing them in different situations and stuff like that, so that's that's going to be the best part of this entire situation. We'll actually have that opportunity now to figure that part out. Now, how much are you reading into the interim tag for um, Hiller and not going out and getting another coach as, let's say, a, a, an indication of the leash that the front office has right now? I think this is. Uh, this is an opportunity for Hiller to become the head coach. Like, I don't see this being like, okay, just a trial run and then we're going to bring somebody in. I think this is a chance for Jim Hiller to take on uh, a head coaching job, permanent head coaching role for the Kings going forward. I mean, that's the thing too, is like what, why I was so surprised about this move and it being ha- happening now is Tom McClellan never got the best roster that he could ice that was in front of him with Victor Arvidsson now coming back sometime soon and Lazat coming back. Like I thought they would have given him that chance to say like, okay, let's see what happens now when we actually get a full lineup in, in place and you, maybe you can pair PL Dubois with certain wingers and whatnot. But then it also brings them to the conversation of whether he was the one that was actually pairing Dubois with certain players. So. Right. And it also, it also brings up the question of does getting Arvidsson back and shoring up our third line, rob us of flexibility in other places that we've been utilizing to a successful degree to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, like, part of me feels like, like the whole thing, the whole conversation around Peel Dubois and not having the wingers to play with, like part of me feels like that's more of less like a player situation. And maybe McClellan was kind of adhering to players wishes. Like I, I go back to just a few weeks ago when, I think he McClellan had talked about how Fiala and Moore came to that came to him and said that they wanted to switch spots on the wing, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of strange. Like you don't really hear players really necessarily make that 
that wish but and then he was like okay yeah sure like whatever you want to do like i don't i wonder like how much pushback he gives to that notion or really to like any players in terms of like what they want to do on the ice uh, and then to be like okay well no this is the way i want to do it and this is the way i see it so that like i'd be i'm very surprised that, like if all of a sudden we see pl dubois like all of a sudden centering like fiala and and arvidsson now going forward or, or whatnot but yeah that's going to be the big uh Big tell at practice. Very interesting times ahead. Very, Very interesting. interesting. I mean, I, not necessarily successful, but at least interesting. <laughs> We're definitely at a, at a turning point right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, the next like ten games decides everything, really. Oh man, uh, I don't. Which is think good about because it. that's how many games left there are until the trade deadline, give or take. Yeah, like what are you, you going to do at that point if the if this team flounders in the next ten games and like just wins, like goes on the same kind of run that they're at, like I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling for Matt Roy to be traded. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that point where you're like, okay, well, this team doesn't feel like they want to be contenders right now. Then yeah, let's start selling and create as much flexibility as you can going forward. Yeah. Because which is which is terrible to say because this is a team that needs to feel like they have to win now. Like they have to win. They have you have Andre Kopitar on your team for only what two more years after that? Who knows how much longer? He's going to be playing in the NHL after that. So you have to be able to find yourselves in contention to win with Kopitar as your captain. Like, I, the, the, the biggest thing I want to see before Kopitar hangs him up is I want to see Gary Bettman be the first one to hand him the Stanley Cup. Like, I feel like that's a mindset that should be on the mindset of the management, it should be on the mindset of the coaches, Kopitar, and the players that play with him. It's like, if you're not going to play with yourselves or anything like that, like, do it for Kopi, who's done so much for this franchise and everything like that. So, yeah, but a big part of that is you have to be realistic about creating the flexibility to have the pieces in place that can actually bring you to the cup when Kopitar and Dowdy are no longer those pieces, even when they're here. You know, true, when you're still true. on the books and they're not your first-line center and they're not your number one defenseman, you have to have the flexibility to get that kind of production out of ELC guys, out of free agent guys, whoever it might be. And I think... I mean, honestly, I, I've been leaning towards trade Roy and play the kids now and hope that that doesn't hurt your chances in the playoffs this year anyway for the whole time. But for sure, if we're getting to the point where making the playoffs is more of an outside chance than, you know, than us having the inside track to that, you for sure have to do it then. Like, you know we can end up with $24 million in cap space or so next off season and not have to resign any of those guys and get that production out of Clark, get that production out of Fagamo, get that production out of Turcotte, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. I think you have to do that. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'll say though, is I feel like this, like, I don't think there's any argument where I, I think this is the best and most talented roster that the Kings have had in quite some time. So, Maybe ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to say that they need to create, like, flexibility, I mean, like, what what other positions are you trying to, like, upgrade at this point? I mean, you um, re-signed... One you, you brought, <laughs> Yeah, you... <laughs> you, you, brought in, you brought in Gavrikov last year, and we saw how well he played with Royce, so you re-signed him, and you gave him the, the, the amount of money that... I mean, everybody was calling for him to be re-signed. That wasn't an issue, so you gave him that that contract, so boom, we're done there. Uh, yeah, but realistically, they probably should have been extended together if you if you re-signed Gavi because of how well he plays with Roy, you shouldn't have let Roy go this long without an extension. 
True. I also I also think maybe it's just because of the system that they play too. I think the one three one kind of yeah. amplifies his. It works for him. I, yeah. I think he'll do just as well with someone else on his way. I mean, his, yeah. his, his other side. I, I do. Look, you, go look up go look up his metrics with uh, Jordan Spence on natural stature. Jordan Spence and Gavrikov play extremely well together. Yeah. I know it's only been like 50, 50 or so minutes on ice together, but yeah, the metrics look great there. So you have that to kind of build off of. I, I, I don't expect Matt Roy to be back with the team. I'd be very surprised if they're able to figure out a way to re-sign him as much as I want to see him re-sign. It would I just be don't. so dumb. It would be very difficult to do too. I mean, you'd have to look at him getting like under five million dollars a year, and I, I feel like a team like Detroit or someone will give more than that. So the injury is not withstanding. I can make a much better case for resigning Arvidsson than Roy. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. But I mean, just to kind of talk about like the talent, the roster. I mean, if you're looking for flexibility, I guess the only real position that everybody kind of could kind of question is in net. Yeah, but, that, I mean, that Cam, would be nice. Cam Talbot's at the All Star game because the team in front of him was playing really well. So right, but if, if you get a goaltender who's who can who can survive the team not playing particularly well, that's where you put money. Like where we saw Riddick, like in, in the game against Nashville. I mean, we've seen him right. him do that. I'm not going to say that he's going to be the, the, the right. He's probably not the guy. the guy. But if you can get a guy who does that, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent of the bad games of the team. That's where you spend your money. Like, that's what we had yeah. with Quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't know. I feel like it, it's just the team in front of Talbot is kind of what's hurting him a little bit more. I, I'm not going to say that he's, I agree. he's been, I agree. He's been yeah. good at all. But he, so he needs to be better. But the team in front of him also needs to be better. because. But, but that's also like, what you get for a million dollars. For a million yeah. dollars, you get a goaltender whose numbers are as good as the team in front of him. Exactly, exactly. But, but I mean, also, you could be, we could be on the other side of the spectrum and say, like, oh, well, why, why didn't we pay a goaltender like Corpusalo and it's like and be in that situation? So it's all like, who knows what would happen in that in that case? But I felt like I felt like like I've, I'm I'm for it. Like I, I was all on board with saying like let's go bargain bin shopping in net. You can get yeah. a goaltender that's just going to win you games and get you through the regular season into the playoffs. The the playoffs that will be will is where it'll be the big question. That's where you can find Cam Talbot to be successful enough to carry you to a Stanley Cup run. So that's going to be the big question mark. But I know a lot of people are like asking like, oh, well, trade for Marc-Andre Fleury or trade for somebody else. Like, like we're like, it's just, you're just going to bring in another older goaltender than what you have now. So, yeah, there's no upgrading it before the offseason. And there might yeah. not be any upgrading it during the offseason. But I think part of the reason why you were in the let's go garbage, you know, let's go, let's go dumpster diving is because the league was in that situation with who they had as available as free agents, and we were in that situation with what we had available as in 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 the you know under the cap. And what we've experienced just recently with Cal yeah, Peterson what too. We had like with, we, right, nobody what we had nobody, Copley. Nobody wanted to go through that situation again, and then the, there's the Kings are still paying for it. With Ivan Provorov is on the Kings' cap hit right now because of that situation. So right, you don't there's want no to, excuse for giving a bad goaltender a big contract. Yeah. So when so. when everyone is a when everyone in the goaltending market is the kind of guy who is a product of the defense in front of him, then you just get the cheapest guy. Well, you just you don't want to be stuck with a goaltender because goaltend goalies are goalies. Like we we talk yeah. about, it, you know how we talk about it. Like it's just they can be really good for some stretches, and all of a sudden they can be really bad. And you don't want to be stuck paying a goalie five, six, seven million dollars a year when they're going through bad runs because then all of a sudden you're stuck with a goalie 
and then a backup goalie, whoever who's whoever the backup is. And that's kind of where that's where the Kings were the last few years. That's where Edmonton was with Jack Campbell, Seattle with Grubauer. Like the teams have been starting to figure it out. Like, okay, well, we need to start trying to maybe I guess promote and develop younger goaltenders and find them that way as opposed to just giving throwing a bunch of money at the position. Yeah, and if we did trade Roy and get someone, you know, for the system back, I would take that. I mean, not not just that, but that'll that'll be. The, I don't think like like I don't think anybody's gonna get traded. Like I don't think Matt Roy will get traded. I feel like Rob Blake. Like we're talking about Rob Blake being the one who's now going to be the focal point of everybody's discussions of him being the next the next one. Can if things go wrong, he's going to try to ice the best team in front of him. He's not going to be looking to to trade for future assets or, or make big moves or anything like that. He's going to do what he thinks or ice the best team that he thinks can, can help this team win. And yeah, you have to keep Matt Roy if that's, if that's, the that's true. You kind of wonder how much, how much Rob Blake is in the driver's seat right now. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, yeah. like that, that's what I saw when I saw the interim tag. I was like, there are, there are coaches out there that would fit this team pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. GM's but coaching. I don't know if he's allowed to right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, right? Like, yeah. at this point, it's like, yeah, maybe maybe the decision, like, okay, if you really want to fire the coach, we're not going to give you any more money to bring in another person in. So yeah, you're kind of exactly. stuck with what you want to do. If you really feel like this is a decision that can be made, then here you go. Have Jim Hiller be the guy. And I feel like right, that's and the same, the same kind of thing might happen, you know, at the trade deadline. It's like, you want to do something? Well, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's we're not bailing you out in any way. Mm-hmm. We're not retaining anything. We're not doing any of that. Like if you figure out a clean hockey move, go for it. But we're not, we're not taking on Ivan Provorov's cap at this, this, this trade deadline. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Either way, interesting, interesting couple months coming up. Yeah, man. I mean, next week it'll be the interesting one. That's, that's what I'm excited for. Curious to see I, I don't, I'm not. I'm not. I can't. I can't bring myself to be excited about a game right now. <laughs> I appreciate you having on. <laughs> Take care. Have a good next one. Time. See you next time. Let's see, keep it rolling. Oh man, exciting day. Nervous day. Uh, I don't even know. Man, I was having like so weird. Like the. I know. I know. You're really excited about this, but we were I'm surprised they actually did it. I mean, I'm sure you, like you were like me watching uh, the Jim Harbaugh press conference yesterday and being all excited about that. And all of a sudden, we're here. We're our other team. Now we're on the other side of the Exactly. Hey, Darvin Ham next. Darvin Ham next. All right. I love it. What's up, man? What's up? What's um, your situation? I don't know. With Tug gone, I'm curious what that does for kind of the fringes of the roster. Because there's definitely some guys that he likes that he's – got playing a lot and there were guys oh give me a second hang on uh yeah anyway there were guys that he had playing a lot that were not the guys i wanted playing or Mm -hmm. up in the in the lineup like uh like jad like grunstrom like andreas england and there were guys I've been wanting to see instead of them for a while. And, of course, a couple of those guys finally got called up recently. But I'm curious now with Arvidsson coming back soon, with Lazat coming back soon, who ends up being the odd guys out? Because there's 
too many guys now and we're going to have to send a few of them down. I'm curious, do they try to sneak some of them through waivers? Do they trade somebody or do they just send down the guys who don't need to go through waivers? Which yeah, is what yeah. I was assuming was going to happen. Yes, like that's why it's like, it's like when Turcott made his, I guess, season debut and started playing as well as he was, I know a lot of uh, probably uh, decisions to, to call him up was maybe stunted by the injuries that he was dealing with, but yeah, you wonder like how much more playing time he can get or just even the, all the young players that have been playing consistently well. Like I talked about with Joey earlier, it's like we've seen Quentin Byfield be this consistent, productive player yet he's still getting, like, under 15 minutes a game. Like, give him the leash to to run longer, especially if that in-game he's playing so well and has the legs and has the jump that maybe a lot of other players don't necessarily have. Like, use that in-game adjustments to get him – double shift him. Give him, on, give him on another line. Put him with somebody else that you can give him more opportunity or something like that. So, also, there's no reason we sh- – there's no reason we should not be trying QB on the penalty kill right now because I obviously right now Todd had guys like Jared Anderson, Dolan, Carl Grunstrom on there with Lazat Hurt. And don't get me wrong, those guys have been fine. I think the biggest improvement in the penalty kill has been the goaltending, but those guys have been fine. But there's no reason not to try Byfield on it. And then that would allow you to take Grunstrom or Anderson Dolan out and leave Turcotte in which I want to do because he looked great against Nashville. And, like, I, I, I thought he was a bust. I hope I'm wrong about the dude. I really want them to give him more of a leash and see if he can kind of do the things we've been hoping he can do for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. I like that one yeah. shift he had with Byfield when Lewis scored. I kind of want to see those guys together, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like that's, like that's maybe one put thing right put there. those like, two with Dubois and then put Darvinson with Kopitar and Kempe. Well, I mean, that's just one opportunity right there. It's like like if Quentin Byfield's playing a, a good game in that game, then put him in an opportunity where you can double shift him and give him a little bit more minutes on that fourth line. Because, like you said, like we've seen how I mean, we saw like in that one that one game where he played center. I thought he elevated his line mates pretty pretty well. So. If he like that's just like just an example. Like I just want to see more in game adjustments. Yeah, especially with Byfield because he's. I think he's one of our best players right now. Maybe. Oh, 100. And probably probably not the best forward, but probably in the top three if you ask me. Reliable, consistent, productive. We, we've seen it all from Quinn Byfield this entire year. It's a plus fourteen for a reason. And a lot of his on yeah. metrics kind of point to that. Oh, absolutely. He's been amazing. And, like, even even when we were playing horrible in January, even when there were some games where he wasn't getting points, he was one of the only guys where I could say every game, okay, Byfield looks like he's all right. At least he doesn't look actively bad. And there were guys who other games I could say that for probably a couple games. And Byfield was one of the only ones who, even when he wasn't scoring, has looked consistently pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's just I, based on what we saw his rookie year, and then last year, and then the jump to this year. It's he's gotten better every year, and I don't even think this is his ceiling yet. I'm excited for what he can keep doing. If obviously if he finishes this year strong, and then he could really go off next year. Who knows? 
Yeah. I but I really want to see us play him more, use him as one of the top guys because he is. I think if there's one thing that the Kings fans could be excited about if things continue to, to go downhill like they are, if there's one thing that they could be excited oh, Drew, I'm going to mute you real quick because we can hear a lot of, a lot of wind. Oh, yeah. Bad. No worries. Um, if there's one thing we could be excited about with uh, if things continue to go downhill, it's the production from the young players and the play from the young players. I mean, you have Quentin Bybee, who's 21 years old, and we like like Drew Berners mentioned, like he sometimes looks like the best player on the ice. That's that's outstanding to hear and see. And from a player, we we just heard the buzzword so much talk about Byfield the last few years, and all of a sudden he's the best king. Sign me up for that. Love it. So that's good to see. You have Jordan Spence, who I feel like he deserves more playing time, and at times he's been the best defender on the ice. And and I saw it like. You, even there's just flashes. Go back and watch the Nashville game. There's flashes like some of the stick handling and skating and ability that he was showcasing. I'm like, dude, like nobody else on this team, especially on the blue line, can do that. So it's like, why isn't he giving more opportunity? And then obviously with Brant Clark and Alice Laferriere too, who think about Laferriere was fifth among all rookies in scoring in January. So there's that too. So you have players, young players that are still kind of developing and starting to showcase a little bit of what they can do in the lineup. I just like wonder like how can they, how much more can they help the team now if they're giving a little bit more of an opportunity? So I wonder like Drew Bruner, I'll bring you back in here um if you want to kind of give your take on anything else before I move on to the next person. Yeah sorry sorry about that noise no, you're, also. You're good. And another thing is and you were just talking about Jordan Spence, talking about Brent Clark. And this was something I've been wanting to see for like a month. And I'm hoping Hiller actually does is I want to see both those guys get in the lineup at the same time, even if Roy is still here. Because, I mean, at this point, let's be real. I've been talking about England for like a month. And he, he actually had a good start. I was giving him credit when he was playing well. He was really good in October, really good in November. But, man, the last couple of months he's been horrible. So, honestly, at this point, I know a lot of people are – going to get war flashbacks to Jersey last year, but I don't think there's a reason we shouldn't try somebody on the left side because at this point it really can't get much worse than what England's done. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people are going to come into my mentions talking about me about, Oh, the physicality, the toughness, whatever. Dude, he's on the ice for like a goal every game at this point. Mm -hmm. Both of the ones against Nashville were like him. Like one of them was his turnover and the other was in his spot and he just left it wide open. Yeah. And that's the thing that's so confusing with that, the England situation is, is, is we've heard from McClellan when Gavrikov was out, like Jacob Mavarara came up and played top four minutes. And by all accounts, he looked really good from, we heard yeah. McClellan say he, he was very good, like extremely good. I forget what word he used. He's one of those adjectives. So, I'm like, why are you giving? Why aren't you giving a player like that more playing time? If he was playing that well in top four minutes in lieu of Gavrikov with Roy, he needs to be given more ice time. Like, you're, you, there's really should be no excuse to keep playing England. Just, I mean, and not necessarily just to kind of point all the blame on Andreas England or really any other player that we talk about with roster decisions. But like, if you're looking for a team to kind of get themselves out of this rut, like change things up. Give us a different look. Yeah. Give something different. Like change, just change it up a little bit. Maybe, maybe that adjustments can spark uh, new life into uh, defensive pairings, or or even a forward line, or something. Like that. That's just for one game or two games or so. Just 
just to kind of stretch it out because at this point, like if you're just going to continue going on the same road that you're going on and playing the same defensive lineup, because if you think about it, like it's been the same defensive blue line pairings. Every basically oh, every every basically game, every except game. for when Gavrikov was hurt, and then they were rotating Clark and Spence in and out. Mm-hmm. Never once did they try Clark and Spence in there together, which they should have. Honestly, at this point, and this is something I was thinking about also is every game when we're down, which we've been a lot in January, they always put Dowdy and Spence together, and one of them's always on the left side, and one of them looks, and they usually look fine. So why not? do that with one of them you could go like dowdy roy for all i care and put clark with mikey yeah i mean i like from the small sample size of games the games that we've seen from Brent clark i I have actually been very impressed with this defensive game i thought like normally you see a player like that young who played pretty well in the ahl no more for the offensive game come up to play in the nhl and all of a sudden get get kind of uh run through a bit in the defensive side yeah i thought he's been playing really good especially like one-on-one He's been physical, which is good to see. He's been using the stick well and stick checks and his positioning and, and his gap control has all been great. So I'm like, okay, well, if that's going good, like why don't you consistently play him in the lineup? And we know how Jordan Spence can play. Like get your best players out there. And it's just been the same blue line over and over and over. And it's been the same rut over and over and over. And that's something I noticed with Todd a lot is there's always like this one – token third pairing defenseman who just kind of doesn't do all that much that's in the line last year it was Alex Edler and he could play a little bit he couldn't skate but he'd sometimes have a nice block or a nice stick check or something England has like one good hit a week and then that's it basically (laughs) so at this point I'm thinking this is an adjustment I'm hoping Hiller makes is I'm hoping he puts Clark and Spence in the lineup together because right now we need the offense they both can bring it and Clark hasn't looked out of place defensively at all. Like, sure, there's stuff to work on, but he's been, by all accounts, fine. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's going to be the big question. I mean, he's been better than I expected. I'll say that. We've we've said I've said it countless times just on this Twitter space. Is what the big tell is going to be like? What happens as far as the lineup? Uh, how how that lineup looks on that first practice back on Thursday? And then I guess the question I'd like to hear from Rob Blake is like, how much of uh, adjustments were, were disagreed on or like how much would just disagreement was there as far as adjustments and maybe that, is that what led to the decision to kind of get rid of McClellan's that's another thing I'd love to hear Rob like because I, I feel like a lot of people are and myself included are wondering like was McClellan ultimately the one that had to say as far as how the lineup went and roster decisions were made or was it more of a less uh, more or less a group group decision so yeah, that'll be the, the big tell. I'm very curious what happens with uh, Arthur Kaliev after the break because mm-hmm. definitely fell out of favor with Todd, but we've seen what the guy can do when he's playing well. I would like to see him get more of a look in the lineup, put him back on the power play, see if he can find something going. Yeah, that's another. That's... I still think he's got the skill to be really good. Yeah, Kings can't give up on Kaliev. They need to keep him around. It's another young player. We've seen, I mean, we've seen it like Adrian Kempe, Gabe Velarde, players, the young players that come in and maybe get the time pretty early and come in with high expectations. Don't necessarily produce right away, but like we've seen it like once they get a little bit older. Even Quentin Byfield. Yeah, Quentin Byfield too. You can, you can count him. He's been amazing. 
If it could be then Alex Turcotte could be next. Who knows? You just give him. Give I hope him, he is. Give him a little patience. Give he, him a little time. They can start producing. I hope Turcotte ends up doing that this year and just going off the second half of the year because he. I mean, we've we've had a lot of talk about that dude. I have too. Mm-hmm. I really Real hope man. that what I have said is wrong. I would love to see him go out there and prove me wrong because you could tell when he scored against Nashville that that felt good for him. Love it. I love it for Turk. But I appreciate you hopping on here, Drew. Yeah. I'm going to go to another person. Oh, no problem. Have a good Glad weekend, buddy. You too. Uh, uh, let's go. I'll do one more. Let's go to Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah, you're a big fan of Andre Thingland. Well, actually, first, let's. What, what's your thoughts on the whole uh, Tom McClellan change thing? <laughs> I think it's the big news of the day, right? You there, buddy? Looks like you're trying to figure it out. Uh. I guess we'll do another person while you get your stuff figured out on that end. Uh, who did I bring on here? Oh, Womack. Womack, what's up, man? Hey, Russ. How you doing, buddy? Good. Doing pretty good. I just wanted to touch on the, my biggest issue with Todd was the lineup decisions. Like full, it's like there's so many better options that I personally would have liked to see other than having – Trevor Lewis on the fourth line, and I'm just hoping with the new coaches, he can switch off and hopefully have a fourth line like Turcotte, Fagamo, and Lazat when he's healthy. And then maybe, because I really liked seeing Kempe with Dubois and Last. Those three looked really good. So maybe, like, if Arvidsson's healthy early enough after the break, put Arvidsson on the first line with Kopitar and Byfield, then maybe put Kempe, Dubois, and Last together. I don't mind that. I actually kind of like that. Um, I'm curious to see where they play Arvidsson. I know a lot of people are kind of pointing to him be that winger with uh, Dubois and kind of take over from where Jan Anderson Dolan is currently playing, which I wouldn't mind that either. You kind of bring a little bit more of a um, energizer bunny to that, to that line with, I mean, LaFerriere is always already kind of that player, but I mean, with Arvidsson, it's just a whole different breed. It's a guy who's scored 30 goals in the NHL already. Uh, he had what sixty-five plus points last year with the team, so he's obviously a playmaker. He can he can finish as well. So I think that's something that Dubois has kind of been missing on his wing. I know that, like a lot of people will say, "Well, you're just kind of making excuses for Dubois," which I kind of am. But when you have a talent at the level of Victor Arvidsson compared to Jared Anderson Dolan, I don't think there's any debate that that's going to be quite an upgrade to play with him. But at that point, then you have no more excuses. But as far as the lineup decisions go. In total, like you talked about, yeah, like I definitely had the questions about the the lineup that he was using and, and a lot of the usage of those players that were in the lineup in in game too. So that maybe, and that's 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 a that's an answer I'd love to, to hear from Rob Blake and, and talk about and, and hear from if that really was the ultimate nail in the coffin for McClellan here in LA. Yeah, it just fully baffled me how you would like mix up the lines for like give it like a game or two and then put it right back to normal and nothing would have changed because. You can't change the lines like that and expect it instantly to change. You need to build chemistry yeah. and all that. Love it. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're going to make those big drastic changes, then you better stick with them. Like, don't just do it for one one, uh, one or two games or even a game and a half like we saw happen with when they put more uh, up there. Or even, I think, actually it was Dubois even on the wing, which I thought was a terrible decision. I think he's yeah. well, more well-suited on, on the center position. But, yeah, like – it's we talked about it. it's just that reluctancy to make those adjustments and when the things aren't going right is what I feel like ultimately did McClellan. I'm with you on the Dubois train because I'm from Winnipeg, so I've seen him a lot. 
with the Jets, and I, he's not the same player from like, from like in LA. He looked the same as he looked in Winnipeg, which I understand. He was playing with Shifley and Connor in Winnipeg, but now he's playing with someone every game, pretty much. Other than it's been consistently with Laugh. But I see, like, I know what he can be, and I hope that they can make those changes to help him because. I know it's been pushed on that it doesn't matter who your linemates are, you should still be able to produce, but some players aren't like that. Like, yeah. He needs he needs like a fast player. So like been good with Laugh and even Kempe too. So that like worked out really well. Uh, yeah, I think him and LaFerriere have been excellent. I I'm always been high on LaFerriere. If you've been following me for a while, I thought I'm, he's been a great player ever since drafted out of Harvard. So I, I love that duo together. I think it should just give – and nothing to kind of disrespect Jared Anderson's Dolan because I think he's been pretty solid too of late. But I think if you just give him a little bit more of an upgrade on that other side with the, with Victor Arvidsson or whoever you want to play there, whether it's you move Fiala down and have the nice lane get reunited again, like who knows what happens. But, yeah, I think if Dubois can just kind of find that consistency because I don't know – I believe it was either after the – I think it was the um, – Oh, what, what, which game was it? I forget which game it was, but there, I was watching him. Like I said, I always watch Dubois whenever he's on the ice. And I remember like he went off for a change. He like, he made like an entry into the zone. He tried to make a pass and, and the player he was passing it to didn't really receive it well. And is fumbling the puck. And it happened a couple times on the shift. And I just was watching Dubois and you could see him skate back to the bench. And it almost looked like he wanted to break his stick on the bench. And you can just sense on the guy. I'm like, I see that frustration in his, in his, uh, and that body language of his, because I just know like that inconsistency, whether who he's playing with or the players that he's actually playing with just aren't playing up to the level that he thinks they should be playing. But yeah, like, like, but that, that's not to say that it's just all of that. It needs to be on himself too, to be able to up those players a little bit too, and bring his game and stay engaged throughout the entire game. So if you're not like, that's why, like, I love what Alex Turcott said. I don't know if you guys heard what Alex Turcott said, uh, before practice, before the national games, like he talked about how he's learning that it just doesn't need to be point production that he needs to make an impact. He's, he can make an impact on the game. He, what he said, his B game, where his B game, whether he's not producing, he can still block shots or be physical or all that good stuff. So I, I think we're waiting for that, for Dubois to bring that element of, of his game to the ice and not necessarily be the producer in terms of, of the box score. But if you're not, if you're not going to be getting those points and the system, the goals or whatnot, then throw a body check, like take a block shot, like lay out for something, like show you're engaged in the game and not just producing in the box score. So I think that's what we're all still waiting for Dubois to show to a lot of Kings fans because we haven't really seen it. And not a lot of people like like yourself or not a lot of people have seen Dubois like firsthand like you have in Winnipeg. And I like, don't get me wrong, I'm like one of the biggest Byfield fans you can like look for but I really really think Dubois should be on power play one and maybe Byfield on power play two it's nothing to do with Byfield's production but I really think Dubois could be a difference maker on that first power play unit yeah that was a weird change that they made I I don't think I know the power play with that first unit was kind of struggling at the beginning but I think a lot of the struggles were kind of pinned on Dubois a little too much there and that change was kind of kind of strange I I wasn't really too fond of it like I like we've talked about with Byfield kind of Produce his production, his consistency. I feel I feel like he can really up the the second power play a little bit more, and you give Dubois um, more of an opportunity on the first power play to not necessarily like uh, help out his teammates, but you give him a little bit more of an opportunity to, to produce because that first power play unit is on the ice for pretty much ninety like ninety seconds of the two minute uh, power play. 
So I think if you give him a little bit more of an opportunity to produce and be a productive player, I think that will kind of lessen a little bit of the frustrations that fans feel towards him. It was definitely because they just wanted, like, they wanted to see him produce a lot because of the contract, which that's the only thing I hated about the contract, even though I loved Velarde and Kupari, even though he wasn't really a favorite. But the, the only thing I had issue with is the contract. The production's like, it is what it is. He's probably, I'm assuming he's going to, like, get comfortable soon, maybe, like, a year. But, like, just because he's struggling doesn't mean it's the entire power play struggles is on him or, like, anything else with the team, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people want to point to P.L. Dubois being the main reason that this team is struggling. That's that's not nearly the case. It's the entire team that I feel like is struggling and, and other players. like He can be one of the reasons. I'll give you that, but I don't feel like he's the entire reason. But, yeah, like 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 you said, too, Like I wasn't I wasn't too upset about the players that they were trading. I mean, outside of follow, you're pretty much giving getting almost similar production from a rookie in Alex Ferriere. And, and the fact that he's even getting the opportunity is going to speak volumes to his future going forward. So you're getting a player there. Rasmus Pari is, I mean, he hasn't really produced and kind of seems like his NHL career might be fizzling out, but who knows what happens there. And so a lot of people are maybe pointing to Gabe Lardy being the only one, but even then, like he's, he's been an injury prone player his entire career. He's even been in and out of the lineup with Winnipeg this year. So, I mean, but like, like, just like you though, I'm, I was kind of, little concerned about the, the amount of money that they were giving Dubois because I didn't feel like it was necessarily something that he had played himself into. But, I mean, with the salary cap going up the way it is uh, in the next couple of years, I feel like if you're looking for a 25-year-old center and you feel like you got you found one in Dubois, then you give him the money that you feel like he's deserved. So that's, I guess, the only question mark. Yeah, I fully agree with that. There's just one more thing I'll talk about not to be done. Is, you know, like the thing with Kupari – I really liked his game. Like, yeah, he didn't score, but he was, like, really impactful for a fourth-line player. He had probably one of the fastest players in the league, and he's, like, a top-end penalty killer, too. If he could just find a to score, then he would be a really solid bottom six forward. That's just the biggest frustration with him is that he couldn't score. I never understood the reason why they, they never wanted to try him on the wing. I feel like when you have a player with that much speed, and he's always been a straight-line player. He's never been an uh, east-west type of player. He's always been north-south. I'm like, well, why don't you just try him on the wing and see what you can do to try to get him that speed going on the outside? And the Kings never tried it. I haven't seen Winnipeg try it. So, I mean, you have Sean Monaghan going to Winnipeg now. Maybe they give Kapari that opportunity and you move Nemestikov down. And I think they have – I don't know who their other center is up there. But I, that's, that's something – But I mean, whatever. It's just kind of more Winnipeg talk. To be fair with Kapari, he did dislocate his shoulder and he's been out for a while. But, you know, they need, like, if he could figure out a scoring, he could be a really solid player. Yeah, I'm not going to give up on Kapari. I feel like there's still a penitentiary there. So hopefully he can figure it out. I always like Kapari. Me too. There's a lot of talent. But I appreciate you hopping on here, buddy. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too. Let's, let's go to our last. Let's see if uh, Johnny Utah get it figured out. Then I'm going to hop off here. Man, exciting day. Johnny Utah, what's up, man? Looks like you're still muted, buddy. Can you can you hear can you hear me? I I can hear you. How are you? Sorry about that. You're good, man. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Well, first of all, I, I knew it was over for Todd when you tweeted um Jad's ice time that one game and Carolyn Baith called fake news on you. I, I had a I, I had a feeling it was over for him. Oh yeah. man, I love I love Carlin. We were just yeah, that was, that was a fun night. 
And then the funniest thing after that is West Coast Bias tweeted and Dowdy responded. And then he got mentioned on both Spitting Chicklets and 32 Thoughts, which is, <laughs> man, the internet, the power of the internet. The power man. of the internet, man. I would have yeah. loved, I know, I know Dowdy's kind of, he's definitely matured a lot more, but it would have been fun to see Drew Dowdy in his younger, uh, more vocal days be on Twitter. I think that would have been a, a fun watch for Kings fans. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know what to feel about today. Uh, Jim Hiller, I mean, he has no experience as a head coach. Um, yeah. I wonder who they're going to keep as assistant. I mean, it says Yanni's still going to stay on, but are they going to bring on a third? Or I don't know what's well, going to happen. I mentioned earlier, Derek Johnson is already an assistant coach. He's just never been behind the bench. So I wonder oh. if they just bring him behind the bench. He was, up, he was the skills coach before this year, and he got was promoted it. to assistant coach. So I'm wondering if that's just that lateral move they made. Got it, got it, got it. So, I mean, my take on all this, you know, I have mixed feelings on T on, on McClellan. I have mixed feelings on PLD, too. You know, I've been going off on him all year, but I'm trying to give him a break. I feel like the last couple of games, too, he sent, like, a pretty few good saucer passes on Jad Stick, and he kind of fumbled yeah. him, right? And, like, I feel like if there was maybe more high-profile winger there, he would have buried him. And then you're talking about maybe, like, you know, four or five points and four or five games from PLD, you know? So, uh, oh, you're, you're turning you're, around. You're turning around. I, I might be turning around. I also <laughs> met him at that uh, that cat and dog event recently. My girlfriend dragged me because we were in the area, and she's half French and he's French, and they started speaking French. And I was like, man, he he got me. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, she, she likes him, and now I gotta like him. Ah, you know. So, so it's so funny. It's so funny you mentioned that because I remember like going back to that first press conference we had from Peel's Bob when he was really first introduced to the media in L.A. and I like. It wasn't like like I was a big fan. A lot of people were really skeptical about the, about the trade, but even when you heard from him and 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 listened to him talk, it's like okay, he kind of warms up to you a little bit. His personality kind of gets to you, and you're like, okay, well, I don't see any mess. I don't see any real baggage or any kind of uh, of a toxic teammate coming over here. It seems like he's a really well liked guy and really charismatic guy. So. Yeah, yeah, that's where it gets to you. But then you see the play on the ice, and then that's where the questions start coming to play. Oh, yeah. I mean, he looks like Jason Allison at the end of his career. But um, <laughs> that's like, what what happened here? And he's getting torn up recently. I mean, I, I've shared a few of them with you. Like, I'm name it on somebody's podcast. They're just tearing him up. But anyways, I'm going back to come my original point. I got two, uh, two things for you. Do you think Blake kind of messed up the chemistry in the room the past year too much? I mean, he traded quick. I mean, everyone loved him. Kopitar was basically crying. Traded Brendan Lemieux. Traded Alex Alfalo. I was at the Metallica concert this summer, and I ran into a bunch of Kings, and Alfalo was still there after the trade, hanging out with, like, the Dowdy, Stoll, Green. You know, uh, it's. do you think he messed it up too much by by moving out to Jersey? Very popular. Yeah. You know, Donnell's body. Do you, do you think he messed it up too much? Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's definitely going to affect that. I know Gwendolyn came on here earlier and talked about, like, these are human beings at the end of the day. So they're going to have as much as they want to take emotions out of it. They're going to have certain emotions and feelings through certain situations and trades. But you mentioned Brendan Lemieux. I couldn't be far more uh, – I don't think you could be far more wrong about him being a, a good locker room presence. I think you needed to get rid of, rid of him. I don't feel like he was really well-liked in the locker room. But, yeah, like you mentioned, like, there's other players like I follow – Jersey, who was really well, who was really close with Dino and, and did all the yoga stuff with Gavrikov. That was a real cult, culture guy. So, like, I don't want to say it's a messed up locker room, but that certainly maybe it comes into question, right? Like, you have those, when you have uh, situations where Drew Dowdy's calling out his teammates and all that, then yeah, there's going to be questions that come to play. Like, how, how tight is this locker room right yeah. now when you lose those really close players like Dino or not Dino, Jersey, 
and I follow who are, I mean, even Sean Walker, who is really close with some players too. So yeah, that, that'll come into play. I think, if the, I think the issue is and people, you know, we all talk about the trade. I mean, you had to move. I follow at 4 million for three yeah. guys, you know, Kupari, I don't think he has a goal yet. I mean, he's basically, you signed Lewis to replace him. I don't know if he'll ever be an NHL player. Some might disagree. So it's basically Velarde for PLD, but the Kings were going to be in the same salary crunch anyways, because Kupari got a million. I follow had four and Velarde signed for three, five. So add all that up. It's actually more than what PLD makes. So, they had to do something with the money. I think just a lot of people were hoping that maybe they would have kept Velarde, Kapari, and dealt Iofalo and then done something with that four. But, um, yeah. Well, you, then, had to, you have to include Jersey in that trade because the second-round pick that they got from Arizona, which is Montreal's, was included in that deal. So it's almost yep. those four players that were dealt exactly. with and 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 a lot of people forget they love Jersey. I mean, I loved him too. He fought. He, you know, he had that awesome game in Toronto when he first came in. But he's going to be up for a huge payday next year. So the yes. Kings cannot afford that, especially on a right-handed D that spot is for Clark or Spence. But um, yeah, and then my other thing is, you know, um, do you think the Kings made a mistake by not trading Dowdy a couple years ago and going full rebuild? I mean, I think Dowdy was the one that basically said, I don't want to be part of a rebuild. Kopitar would have ridden out like Getzlaff did in Anaheim and just retired a king. But you, you think it would have been a different roster if they wouldn't have gone all in the last couple of years and just kept Velarde, played Turkhart, played Fagamo, played Clark Spence, just played everyone and gone for like a full reset. I mean, Chicago won three cups in the time the Kings won two, and they're starting over with Bedard. The Ducks played the Kings in the conference finals in 14. They're starting over two, and both those teams have a lot of promising young players and the Kings kind of just like took the same three or four guys and just try to kind of do this patch rebuild makeover. And all, you know, all we did is make two, you know, two first round eliminations. And like, now we're clean to a playoff spot. It's just like, part of me thinks he just hit like the detonate button. and just cleared everyone <laughs> out, you know? I, yeah. I think, I think he it did. It's weird. I, like, I, like you compare the ducks, like the ducks are going on, they're going on the sixth year without a playoff appearance. That's, the Kings went three years without a playoff appearance. So as much as we want to say like the Ducks are coming, like it's there's still it's still waiting to happen there. Like the Kings have built a Stanley Cup contending team in my eyes. Like this is a talented roster. This this roster is too talented, uh, or talented enough, I guess I should say, to to win a Stanley Cup. So like if they're just not playing up to their level, like and as far as trading Dowdy, like a couple years ago, like what were you going to get for him? He was, he was on an eleven million dollar cap hit. He was considered to be one of the worst contracts in the league league at that time. But I think now he's he's kind of he's definitely elevated his game back to what he was in two thousand twelve, and I feel like even almost even better. I mean, his his goal scoring is is what he's got double digit goals for the first time in, in years. So I think you're getting a you're you're a better team with Drew Doughty on it. And I don't think if you would have looked to trade him a few years ago, I feel like this rebuild probably would have lasted a little bit longer because you'd still be kind of searching for an anchor as far as defensemen. And whether that would have been Brent Clark or, or Jordan Spence, whoever, you're, you still would have been a ways away from finding that guy who's going to eat up 24, 25 minutes a night. And I know, I know his game's kind of fallen off at times here and there, but I still feel like he's, going to be, he's, still, he's still one of the top 20 defensemen in the league, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's just sometimes you look at the roster and you're like, you know, I remember there's a game specifically. I still have it up on like one of my browsers. It was like the Kings played the Ducks and beat him in a preseason game. I think it was 21. Kaliev had a hat trick. And you look at the roster. It was one night they sat Dowdy. They sat Kopitar. They played Turcotte. They played. It was like all young Kings. And it was like one of the best, most funnest games I've seen. 
Cause it was like, this is like what the Kings would have done if they would have rebuilt, you know? And I yeah. remember, and I was like, wow, this is, this is a sick roster, but it, they, you know, like you said, you know, that's just a big piece out. So, well, thanks for the time, Russ. Always great with the fan interaction and uh, yeah, let's see what happens. February 10th. Sure. Should be fun. Should be fun week next week. Appreciate you, buddy. Have a good weekend. You too, bud. Woo. Nervous excitement. Nervous excitement. Man, this has been fun. Uh, I didn't expect to come into Friday with this news, but here we are. February 5th, next Monday, we'll hear from Rob Blake. First practice is Thursday, the 8th. Should be a fun week next week. So everybody, let's have a good weekend. The sun is shining. You live in Southern California. You dealt with the rain yesterday. Look at it. The sun is shining today. So maybe that's a uh, metaphor for days ahead for the Kings, hopefully. But I'm going to sign off here. Everybody have a good weekend.